anybody who wants, I film with Mini Wargaming. So if you ever want to play a game, it's in Niagara. That's the vineyard country of Ontario. one cliff today uh the last second uh i guess cliff had uh best man duties um so i is me flying solo today i'm here with uh the lovely archon scari welcome Scarry. hello hello thanks for having me hello everyone yeah. thanks for coming to hang out tonight hell yeah uh first time first time on this show but i've worked with scar in the past so when he when he approached us said he wanted to uh, join the show i was i was obviously very excited to have him on I'm a glutton for uh, airwaves. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Uh, Scar, man, last time, the last time I think I talked to you directly was when the Dark Elder Codex had uh, just came out. We had you on Florida, man, and we did a uh, review of that Codex. That was a great episode. It was probably, I think it was, might have been our highest or second highest uh, viewership slash listening slash downloads of all the episodes. But what have you been up to, man? Uh, well, been, uh, well, after... Uh, you know, end of the pandemic. Now, uh, just kind of moved house, uh, setting up a new studio space. Um, it, when I get back from the WTC, where I'll be able to like have a schedule for filming like bat reps and, and things for people to come in and like actually visit and play a game, which is going to be really cool. And uh, just been doing a lot of uh, work prepping for the World Team Championship with Team Canada, and uh, essentially just trying to make sure I play games and uh, entertain and educate which is like the 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 biggest thing that i like to do with uh, with the hobby that we love here and we're uh, we're better for it uh we definitely definitely love tuning in and listening to what the uh, the archon has to say us young incubi and and witches and uh and all that learning or overlords now right or overlords now yeah um <laughs> So before we jump, before we bury the lead too much, um, Scary and I are both both traveling to WTC. Uh, Scary, I believe, Scary is playing on Team Canada, uh, and then we'll both be playing War Masters. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm just I'm just hoping to go three and three, honestly, because I'm not I'm not bringing GSC, I'm not bringing Imperial Knights. I, I thought about bringing Imperial Knights, um, and then I'm Less not bringing to pack. Exactly, I'm but I'm not bringing GSC. I'm not bringing Eldar. I'm not bringing IK. Not even bring custodies. I'm just bringing my beloved CK, uh, which they're good, but there's just going to be some armies I hit. I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to deploy the line, and then if I don't win, if I don't win the roll off, I'll be like, rock right, paper scissors I'm and let's go. You know, yeah, I guess that's like, the nature of the podcast, right? You know, where you yep. you know how to play the game, but you know, it takes something special to go, you know, X and O, right? It does, especially <laughs> especially right now. Like it's, I think if I like you said, if you if you brought this certain armies that are just obviously much stronger than others and if you're trying to go x and one you you can't be afraid to let the army carry you a little bit especially mm -hmm. in the current meta right now um i'm just, i'm honestly just there to socialize so i'm gonna bring an army i like playing and then i i think a lot of people are gonna be a lot of people told me they're gonna be bringing me uh shots and beer at the table so i need an army that i can play when i'm uh not quite all present so CK, uh, leave it to chaos knights 14 models there's only 14 choices you have to make every turn 
that's uh that's exciting <laughs> well, they, have, they have so they have so many activations too it's really hard to mess up your target priority with that army i found um what about you are you bringing uh are you bringing crons to the singles are you uh going to i definitely am bringing necrons um uh, tim uh, and everybody listening <laughs> yes i i decided or the team decided to bring uh necrons instead of dark eldar well we did some like you know testing and stuff and mm-hmm. um i'm still i'm gonna have my dark eldar with me however that they, they're not going to be coming out until i go to england after the wtc and i'll be playing uh, some games at uh tabletop tactics and vanguard tactics hopefully so Getting some uh, get some nice quality games in while I'm overseas as well with the Dark Eldar, and then right after though, Capital City Bloodbath, which is one of the premier events in Canada, um, mm-hmm. like a GT, and I'm definitely taking Dark Eldar to that. I'm gonna wash this neck Absolutely. off me. <laughs> so, uh, so, so to recap, you're uh, you're going wtc and you're going straight from wtc so you're going to do the single the Warmasters, the team event then you're going to fly over to london and get a bunch of games in with some other content creators and then how soon after all that is uh is the uh the, the yeah let game? me tell you let me tell you a story of my schedule for the last um uh week. Oh, no. so we had <laughs> we had um the capital clash which was this past weekend uh went undefeated with the necrons um mm-hmm. they five oh and one um and then because we had a draw in there then this weekend i have a three round rtt which i'll be taking the necrons just to you know make sure that you oil those gears before going to the the main event then there's going to be at least six rounds at the war masters and then seven rounds at wtc two games in england i arrive on thursday travel friday he is on the saturday sunday so i'm playing I'm playing a lot of Warhammer in a very short period of time, and I'm pumped for it. It's gonna be I'm gonna be so tired. I'll probably become a zombie I mean, a week off. At the end of the day, you know, there's been there's been so much negativity um about temp edition and like I get it. Um there's definitely been some some mechanical changes that I would struggle to call an upgrade from like ninth edition and then the balance obviously when you throw the baby out with the bathwater, balance kinda gets a little bit weird. Um yeah. but but Warhammer's still fun. At the end of it, um, sometimes you have to kind of like uh, decouple. Uh, you know, if this if the front of the train is your performance and the caboose is your your mental state, you have to like maybe decide like, hey, you know, it's it's tough sledding ahead. Maybe I just kind of like decouple mm-hmm. them for a couple months, and then you just go have fun. Yeah. Um, Super important weekend, to for your own yeah. sanity. For sure. Last weekend. Um, Last weekend I was uh, at up at uh, Sean Naden's house and we were doing the final practice um, with all the lists and everything. Um, so I found myself running just a ton of lists that I would never would have ran. Uh, like right up, like right when they I got there, I got off the plane. I, I ended up I found myself running a Poland's Tau list. I haven't played Tau since beginning of eighth edition, you know. But it was it was fun. I was like I was kind of like. You should have seen it. It was ridiculous. A lot of practicing going on. I had uh, I had fly rinse for piranhas. I had hive guard for crisis. I had like uh, just empty bases for the broadsides. It was ridiculous. Um, but even though we were there to work, we had a lot of fun. Um, took it took it easy this week. Although I got a fun game with uh, Ruben Fernandez. Um, yep. His orcs. That was a, that was a lot of fun. We played that last night. I have a game scheduled for tomorrow against guard. Um, 
we fly out Sunday. I believe you said before the show you fly out Sunday as well. Yep. Yeah, it's a direct flight from Toronto to uh, Brussels, and then oh, nice. you know, quick train up to Mechelen from there, and and the whole team staying at the same hotel. And I think most of us arriving on the same day, like on the Monday. So we'll be hanging out probably Monday, Monday afternoon, kind of getting acclimatized to it all, and then Tuesday games start. You know, it doesn't goes nonstop nice. till Sunday, pretty much. We're uh, I'll have a little bit of a break because I'm playing Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, I'm just a glorified cheerleader. Uh, we get back and I'll have a week off. Uh, and then after that, I'm playing at a local GT, at nice. my local game store, uh, Salty Classic. I think we're at 50 people, maybe 55. That's awesome. Um, then after that, it's Nova. Um, my time off got approved. Uh, I asked the wife and I have a lot of, a lot of credit in the bank uh, with the wife because I, I invited her along to Belgium. Um, so she's all about the thumbs up. And then after that, GW Tampa. And after that, I think I'm chilling for a little bit. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. I love how like, you know, us as gamers, like even if, you know, if you go to events, you have like it mapped out for like months in advance, you know, like, Ooh, this is like my roadmap for rolling <laughs> dice for the next few months. And it's crazy how it becomes a lot more of the social thing, especially if you've been on the scene for a long time. You know what I mean? Like I've been playing this game for 24 years, right? And I've been playing competitive on and off since I started playing the game. Um, and it's become a lot more about like going to an event, doing well, because I, I feel like I know what I'm doing and I don't really need to prove myself. <laughs> like I, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm like, you know, yes, I'm a coach. So performance goes hand in hand with clients you know what i mean like yes i i do have to show new people that don't know who i am that i know how to play the game competitively but it's not like the goal changes where it's like i yearn for dinner in the evening of a gt where like you just go with everyone and like storm a food establishment of some sort mm. and there's like 20 people and like the staff are probably going crazy and you're all just eating and talking shop and like just having an absolute blast and seeing friends is really like the thing that drives me going to events now yeah the uh the team dinners are you, you nailed it that's far and away the best part um yeah. is when you roll through with the crew um you know sometimes sometimes it's only four of you Sometimes it's like 20 of you or 30, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just like, and the staff is just like, you just see like the, the smoke coming out of their ears, you know, <laughs> like, like more and more people just keep coming and just keep pulling up chairs. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then when the group gets big enough, everyone has like friends and then friends of friends and everything. And next, you know, the whole restaurant gets taken over uh, and everyone's just like buzzing and talking about like, they're, they're like, you see people in the corner looking at pairings for tomorrow, like potential yeah. pairings, you know, yeah. you see oh, people yeah. who are talking about mm -hmm. games they have or crazy moments. It's, you, you nailed it. It's the fun part. And then. That's also the best part about just traveling tournaments is once you travel to enough and you've been in enough, um, especially when you play and you start kind of like know what you're doing, you start kind of like filtering up towards the top 25% of the field. Um, you see the same people over and over again, like yep. both in performance, but also the people who are crazy enough to just travel cross country constantly and go to events. Stuff it's like, like that. it's and expensive. So it's, it's like thousands of dollars to like go to multiple events and travel and get into hotels and 
you know, it has, a, it has a it has a filter. It kind of has like a filtering effect, though, as it like narrows down the other people who are crazy enough to do that. You know, and it it, it definitely you start running the same people over and over again. And it's really cool to see someone like you. You see someone at an event in Colorado, then you see them again in, yeah. in California, and you're like, "Hey, man, how you been? How's you doing?" Blah 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 blah. I think it. That's always it, fun. It, yeah, it is, and it doesn't only transcend like distance of like people who in you know aren't in your circle because they're not in your city but they're in your circle because you've seen them at like every event for the last 10 years you know what i mean like you've literally seen these people or like there's so many people for example this event that i just went to last weekend that i've known since like i was 20 years old you know what i mean like i had just moved to canada and these were names that I knew from the competitive scene and they are still going to events and rolling dice and having fun. And you, you sort of build these relationships with people over decades of like just rolling dice and playing games. And it's, it's like, I feel like in a way it's very unique because Warhammer sort of brings all sorts of types of people together in, in like, you know, from all sorts of different walks of life, you know, there's like people from the trades and then there's people who are like, chemists or like university professors and you have like data-driven people you know and you have people who are just creative as all hell and just want to paint and convert stuff and like be hand like artsy and craftsy with their stuff and it all kind of unites us all in this in this sort of like mega family of like warhammer people you know and it's really it's really cool to see it's um you know and it, and it transcends that sort of like cultural barriers you know from like worldwide you know we all know what a space ring is and we all know that magnus did everything wrong and that's just <laughs> how that works i'm uh i'm very excited that um we've had so many people that have joined the hobby uh in ninth and tenth edition yeah. and a lot of them are kind of um you know uh the the people that join in ninth in ninth edition uh they're kind of almost like our I wouldn't say like sophomore class, but they're kind of almost like, you know, like sophomore, junior class, whatever. And now we have like the mm-hmm. 10th edition of freshmen or whatever. And so we're, you're, we're kind of seeing them like, not everyone was like Anthony or like, like right after starting, he like immediately after starting, he was playing like Naden, he was playing TJ Lanigan, then he was going to events, he was just crushing, you know, but we have a lot of those people like they, they joined, they're playing some games locally. And then after a year, they started venturing out and going to like events, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the ninth edition people are doing that. And now we're kind of seeing like the explosion from the end of ninth to start of 10th. Um, almost the competitive uh, community, I think they said it was almost like tripled in size. Uh, over yeah, the it's year. massive. And so to see all those people that are about to start that journey to experience what you just described is really cool, especially seeing like a lot of them go through it for the first time. Um, it's kind of nice because like when you get a little bit old, veteran, kind of a little bit jaded or whatever, it kind of like almost like rekindles like that thing you're like and oh it this keeps is, you on your toes you know like especially if you have like the new up-and-comers who are like ready oh, to go out so and they they're play like good. they're really good players and and they don't have the sort of like you know the confirmation bias of like 10 editions previous you know like they go mm-hmm. in with a completely fresh outlook on how to play the game and as veterans like it's it's our onus is on us to sort of like take the things that they've picked up and be like ooh, i like that because I was thinking like four editions ago thought process, but you're thinking like either just picked up this book and read it for the first time thought process and your stuff sort of vibes better with like the, the 
the system that they've created for the game itself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I I understand what you. And especially with all the data we have, like stuff StatCheck is doing, but then other people are doing too, like Goonhammer, Metamondale, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We actually, for the first time ever, I remember when um, Falcon was doing this by hand, and he yep. started midway through eighth edition. Mm-hmm. And now now look where we're at. We can like literally like drive down to the stats. Yeah. And it's really cool because between like that and TTS, um, it's not uncommon for us to have a sample size over a single weekend of a thousand gt or major games just from a single weekend and so within a month you can see lists coalesce you can um you can see the wisdom of the crowds like mm-hmm. kind of filter out like what's working for a given faction and i've yep. done this before i've told other people to do it you can scrape lists you can be able to be like okay well when you take x data sheet this is the win rate you know this is what even you can literally make an amalgamation of 10 different people and they don't all have the same list but they all kind of have the same data sheets you can just mm-hmm. kind of blend them together and be like okay on average, this is what a winning list looks, looks like. You know, whereas like in back in like third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition, you know, there was no such stuff, thing. Like there was no such thing. People there would have was a the odd list. net list, but you had to like scrape a form. It was hard to find. It was really and hard. Someone to find. would have had to have written like a tournament review of like I went first, and then you'd like extrapolate like, oh, okay, they they had this and this, and Rhino Rush, and there was like general concepts, you know, back in third edition, where it was like if you wanted to do well, you know, you built a rhino rush build and then the right like but it was no really specific specific stuff you know there was like specific character builds we'd be like you know this is the best war gear loadout if you want like a killy character but there wasn't really anything else involved with that yeah yeah exactly. yeah it's crazy and you're, the, you're just you're and people people would just keep that stuff like close to their chest or right they would, like, <laughs> they would build like they would build like three like three quarters of the list like is the actual list and then they would build a bunch of crap in it to kind of like throw people off that were trying to copy it or stuff like that it was it was a while back then yeah, um but I let's roll that. let's roll into uh the subject today uh this was requested by stat check um some members of the stat check and i think it's a good one because it's probably probably um up there with deployment i would say as probably the biggest thing that i've seen people struggle with when they're mm-hmm. trying to take their competitive game kind of to the next level yeah. um, and then we can also get a little bit into the philosophical discussion on it too because there's one that they have but that's the concept Philosophy. of killing now you're talking my yeah, language for real uh but it's the the concept of killing your darlings um where you are improving as a player um and you're starting to hit the limits of your list but you have like a data sheet or an archetype or even a faction um, that's just holding you back. And you're just like, well, I can make it work, you know? And it's like, okay, well, you can make it work some of the time or most of the time, but it's like, you could just remove it and just add something that's more powerful, or has more synergy, it's just overall better and is objectively better, it's been proven to be better and perform. And you and now all of a sudden you're not being held back. It's not you making the list work, it's the list carrying you to the next yeah. level. Um, and I thought um, it actually worked out kind of well because uh, I pain this, it, it pains me to say this because I, lo- I love Dark Eldar not as much as you, but I do love Dark Eldar. Um, but I think recently you might have experienced something like this yourself where just Dark Eldar wasn't quite cutting it and, and you made the decision, um, you and your team, to move to Necrons. Uh, so talk to me a little about what do you what do you think about that concept about, about killing your darlings, both in singles? Let's, let's focus more on singles. Most of our, most of our viewers are kind of approached this. From yeah, absolutely. Standards. Well, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, you, I think the answer to the question, do you kill your darlings, right, is, are you a good person? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, the answer, the, the question itself is, 
about your own personal goals, right? Or like what your goal is. You know, you were talking about the caboose and the and the 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 main engine of a train, right? Being like mental state versus performance. You know, and when it comes to you know, I'm talking about my 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 perspective. I will always prefer to play Dark Eldar, even though I need to do a lot of work to carry the faction, if that makes sense. Because I like the mental struggle of problem solving. So like my high, right, that I get from playing the game is from for is problem solving with a handicap, right? Is like trying to figure out a a solution to the problem and when i do successfully create that solution i know that solution is because of me if that makes sense so it's like a lot more rewarding and the solution being winning a game you know um i find which is funny a lot of the times playing a game i start making better decisions the less game the less models i have <laughs> so like you just get like you just less, oh, less mental load Exactly, right? You hone in and start making like crazy like moves. However, I did recently experience the whole let a faction carry you because you are a good player. You know, going to a GT, um, picking up Necrons for the first time in like the history of me playing 40k and, you know, uh, coming in second place with, uh, you know, um, with IT, with WTC scoring. And I was just having an absolute blast because the the concepts of the game where, you know, as a competitive player or as you get better at the game, the core concepts of the game shouldn't change, you know, deployment, movement, target priority, making sure you're like you're, you know, aggressive, defensive, passive, your your positioning on the table, the board control, uh, making sure you're zoning, pre-measuring, like all these things you end up learning how to do very, very well when you play with a faction that isn't at its best, right? Because if you make any mistakes, the whole like house of cards falls down. Um, however, it is really cool to be able to put a strong faction on the table and know that you're playing with something stupid, like stupidly good, and then just not have to think about it too much. Because like I felt... Like I was physically tired because we played four rounds in one day and then played two, right? So I, I was very tired at the end of the first day, but mentally I was not. I was having an absolute blast, if that makes sense. Like I just had fun not having to worry about the the mis the one mistake or like something going not my way in the middle of a game because I didn't really have to problem solve. It was just no one can kill my lich card. <laughs> You know, so I just bullied everyone, <laughs> and yeah. that was it. You know, maybe they died one time, all events, you know, against like 40 mortal wounds from a Wraith Knight or something like that. You know, but it wasn't like it was just felt good. So what would I recommend to all of you listening is you just have to make your goal is, you know, the reason I did it was because the goal is to be a team player. It had nothing to do with my personal goal of wanting to go to that eventing, event and winning. You know, I'm practicing to go to the world championship to make sure that I'm doing my best for team Canada. Right. That's, that's the, that's, so I will do whatever I need to do to make sure that we as a team can succeed as best we can at the world stage. Right. So am, am I willing to take my cabal out back and shoot it in the head? Absolutely. 
You know I mean, like I'm willing to send them to a farm upstate at them, you know, to hang out with the other with the other pets. You know, it's I had to I had to kill my darlings, you know, and and that was something I was willing to do because I had a clear goal in mind together with people who I was working with, if that makes sense. Yeah. And this this kind of leads to the philosophical I was, I was um, kind of alluding to is uh, sometimes uh, something draws you to a certain faction, like either when um like for example right now i think dark elder is actually good one to talk about um when dark elder was strong last edition it was very much a melee army um and so maybe people were drawn into that they liked the play style and everything like mm -hmm. that um now it's more of a shooting army yeah. and maybe someone's goal is to be the best dark elder player or be the best local dark elder player or just do the best they can with the faction um, but what drew them to the faction was like the Incubi, Drazar, yep. uh, yep. the Succubus, you know, the Witches, all that kind of stuff, you know, like the, the transport games and everything. And now it feels more like a uh, like a third edition Dark Elder list where it's like mm -hmm. just 2,000 points divided by Lance. And 100%. It was one Lance for every 100 points. That was like yep. the ratio. Yeah. Exactly. And so now it's like someone made a slate and be like, well, I do like Dark Elder, but. I don't like what a competitive Dark Elder list looks like, mm -hmm. and I'm not afraid to change things to be more competitive, but at the end of the day, I'm not enjoying it, and if I'm not enjoying it, why am I really trying to be good at something I'm not enjoying? Um, and then there's also the intangible of, like, when you have less buy-in, you're, you're not going to really perform your best. You know? yep. your, your heart's not really in it. Um, so there's a little bit of philosophical where it's kind of like, yes, you could, um, run a more optimal list. But then at that point, you don't have buy-in. You kind of just don't care. And and then at that point, you just lose the, you know, you can't can't see the uh, the forest for the trees, so to speak. So there is that that aspect of it too. Um, what do you think about that? I agree with that statement more than you can, you know, think. Like it's, I have perspective in the fact that I've been playing Dark Eldar since the, the third edition codex, right? So I know that the way that Dark Eldar play now is more faithful to the original way that Dark Eldar were as a faction, right? But a lot of people that came in when a 80-point succubus could table a thousand points of opponent's army. <laughs> if you didn't did nail her down, she would. Normal. She absolutely would. <laughs> That's not normal. Or you know, Drazar. I had a game. You know, that succubus and, was a lot of was a lot uh, of fun. I do miss her. That, we'll her like, that was that was that was, might have been my favorite unit of all time. She was awesome. Um, I had and a then G Drazar, I had a GT last edition. Oof. Yeah, you know, Drazar, for example, is an example. I went to a GT and I played against an army with ten Lehman Russes and two. Rogal Dorns, right? It was just tanks. And Drazar flipped like six of those Lehman Russes by himself. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it was just would flip them, you know, pile into the next one, flip the other one. Like it was just, just absolute murder. So I understand. I am sad that I like, I can't just rely on my, you know, I don't just position on turn one and then just go murder stuff, right? Like it's just a different play style. So I can, I 100% sympathize with everyone who's like a little bummed out that you have witches and you've got your succubus and you have your incubi and drazar. And it's just not like the vibe is different, right? It's just a completely different vibe. 
Now, is that going to stay the same? We we don't like this is index hammer. Like we all have to understand that this is like a beta release for the for the game. You get one detachment. You get one set of like objective mark. One set of uh, stratagems for that. You know what I mean? And you get I don't know the 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 rules that they gave you. What are they going to do in the codexes? Hopefully, expand on that and be like, you know what? For all of you witch cult lovers, here is a like like a witch cult detachment with succubus murder murder kill and like a way to kill tanks in combat you know stuff like that and then all of a sudden it might you know and here's a way to like avoid overwatch you know boom like just mm, amazing if that would happen but we're gonna have to be patient and so hopefully you want, that... to, you want to call to strike detachment as well i do i want to be able to fly <laughs> over you know i want my helions to not have to go around buildings i want them to go through the building because you know it just makes sense that they're I don't know why that mounted grumble grumble. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick before we get too far down the road, uh, we did have a super chat from uh, Francois. Uh, said Ribbon. Next to my wife says I play too much Warhammer. I hopper call you. <laughs> and we were going over. I skills. will. I will put your Warhammer playing to shame, sir. That's right. <laughs> so you. <laughs> I think I could show her, but I don't know if that would. I don't know if that would help my case. So, but I just. I was like, well, you know what? I'll just bring her to Belgium, and hopefully that gets me a pass for a couple events. Uh, or anybody who wants, I, I film with Mini Wargaming, you know, so if you ever want to play a game, it's in Niagara. That's like the vineyard country of Ontario. So there's all these like wine tasting tours. You could always bring the family over, have the wives go and taste wine forever or play games. And then whoever wants can go, you know, wine taste, play games, go see the falls at Niagara. Boom. Family vacation. Easy. So a quick comment from uh, from Kelly that I, uh, in the chat that I wanted to highlight. I wonder if newer players learn better competitive lessons playing bad armies or good armies. Um, so I, I think I can talk to this and, and Ribbon, you let me know if you agree or you want to um, kind of riff on it or whatever. Uh, I think two things. One, short answer, both. Um, two, depends a lot on the player. Um, some players, they, they see someone who is good or is getting um who's getting results and let's just assume that they're not cheating because unfortunately it feels like either cheating has become more commonplace or it's just being exposed more often people are more willing to speak up about it i have people um, are definitely more willing to speak up about it which i is think a that's good i think that's which, which is, is a good thing good we need thing, to yeah. we need to shine a light on that mm -hmm. but they'll see someone doing good they'll be like okay well i've seen someone making this work so it is possible and they'll they'll try it and they'll just they'll struggle, they'll struggle, they'll struggle. I see this a lot with like Harlequin club players back before Harlequins like were crazy in ninth edition. Like it used to be like it used to be very much like a learning curve army. It was yeah. it was infamous for that. But um they will they will have a couple games and they'll either get frustrated and quit the game altogether, um, which is the worst outcome, or they'll just pivot to a different army. Or they'll they'll have that struggle and then like a training montage will click on. And then they'll and then they'll just dive deep, and they will they will eventually come out the other end yeah. and learn a lot. Um, Anthony Vanilla, uh, um, who I consider a good friend, um, just because a lot when I was playing the game um, and when I was struggling, I really kind of lean more towards like the quote Unga Bunga Hammer. Mm -hmm. um, but really, the guys producing com content time was Art of War, and you know mostly Nick Nanavati, Richard Siegler, and they were very much the opposite of that. So it's kind of like well. This is getting me local results, but is this really the right way to play Warhammer? And turned out when Anthony came on the scene, it was like, yeah, that is actually a valid way to play. Yep. Um, but he he said, 
uh, one of the things he says a lot is he says, uh, and he brought this over from Magic. He showed me quotes from Magic the Gathering. People have said this, playing the strong stuff is kind of overpowered for learning because um, it gives you resiliency to make those small mistakes the learners make. Um, and then also when you do make mistakes and you do lose, you know that it was you. You don't. You know that it wasn't the list. You know, like if you brought, if you grabbed Iron Hands or if you grabbed Eldar or whatever, and you, yeah. you net list it, and you've seen the play patterns, and you lose, usually you can identify where it went wrong because it's very obvious. Whereas if you're playing something that's kind of like on like maybe like D tier or something like that, it's hard to pinpoint where one all went wrong. And at yeah. the end of the day, you're kind of like, well, what, did I just get out muscled or like did I actually make a mistake or a little bit of both? Um, yeah. So I think there's it's more of a gray area rather than like a black and white on that question. Um, and then a personal anecdote is eighth edition. So I, I got back, I was playing in second and third edition, left for a while, came back seventh edition, and then really started playing competitive eighth edition. And I was just one tricking towel. And this was when Siegler was coming up. Um, so I went from, I was basically just playing Triptide. And I would always go like three and two, sometimes four and one. Um, because it was, it got really kind of, it just, there was just a glass ceiling where it was hard to, it was hard to go below three, two, but it was also hard to push past three, two. It was yeah. just a sticking point. I just couldn't quite figure out where it was going wrong. Um, and then Iron Hands came out. And when you read the rules, Iron Hands just did everything that Tal did, but better mm -hmm. and stronger and cheaper. And they had melee as well. And they had psychic. Um, and so I just, I just kind of threw up my hands and I switched to, um, iron hands. So, you know, boo, boo, hiss, hiss, whatever. Um, but I immediately, and this was, this talks to how strong that book was. I'm sure you remember when that book came out, even yeah. after several nerfs, it immediately, immediately moved me up an entire bracket of every event I went to. And I was going to a lot, I was going to about two GTs of majors, uh, a month. And that's actually where the learning really happened. Because now I was starting to pair into people whose names I'd heard on Falcons Weekly Stats, on podcasts, on uh, on a tournament reports, stuff like that. I was pairing into these people. And I was also just pairing into a bunch of really strong players. And a lot of them were still, um, a lot of them were either playing, you know, Space Marines, or they were playing other armies that were near Space Marines or slightly worse. And I basically, it was almost like I was just getting coaching matches for free watching these people basically do like do their magic because they were immediately on the back foot on the power spectrum. Um, and I was just kind of like just stumbling through like a bull in a China shop, you know, but I had so much muscle, so much power and they were the ones making plays. I'm kind of like, okay. And every single time I was like, okay, that's how I lost. So that's how I lost. That's what we did. Or you can do that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, huge growth as a player uh, at the tail end of eighth edition. Uh, and then I stopped playing Iron Hands a couple months in the ninth edition, but I just basically kept the momentum going. But that probably that six month stint or so with Iron Hands probably leapfrogged me like two years into the future, I think, as far yeah. as development. And it was just because all those events and all those people I was playing against who were better than me, but they were playing worse armies. And it was huge. I think um you see the results that you've been putting in when you start playing a stronger army. Um, that was a big part you know, of it. It's, it's like you, you played Tau for so long that you probably learned a lot of skills that you just applied to Iron Hands, but you just mm -hmm. you had the ability to do it and still kind of make a few mistakes, but leverage the strength of the Codex. Right? So 
it's one of those things where like I've had coaching clients that pick up an army and you know, they, they, they have like ups and downs and ups and downs. And sometimes, you know, they will go, Hey, let's, let's try something that's more meta present or whatever, just to see what's up. And then you put something on the table and they go and they have an absolute blast playing, you know, six rounds and, and only losing two games at a GT this time or whatever. But like, going with like custodies or something and they're like i really enjoyed that like high pressure aggro like roll a four plus survive kind of list you know uh but they were applying all the little things they had to learn you know when playing uh like a squishy army you know like you know astro militarum or something or orcs where like you just expose something it dies um so i think there's value in both and but i do think that confidence wise it feels good to win some right so like if you if you're if you want to just like if you're having a bit of a struggle and all of a sudden you feel like you know what i'd like to take a metal army take a medalist borrow some stuff and just go and win a few games and just know that it's possible and then you know and then kind of reset if you want to do it well with admech right and admech is crap right then you can like i'm not saying you can't do it but it's going to be incredibly tough yeah, like you, you have to be a master of your craft if you want to make something happen with that. Um, so, but sometimes you might practice, 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 and get your butt whooped, right? But then you go, you know what? I'm let's play Eldar for this event. Just go and crush some people, and just be like, ah, look, I know how to play this game, but and I'm resetting because I really want to be the best admic player, you know, I mean, or whatever. So it's that's up to you. That's up to each individual person. Oh, and that says, don't forget to bounce your ideas off someone. Get a coach, like play with something that somebody was more knowledgeable. Like you ended up playing a lot of top people at events. That's fantastic. It's like each game is a coaching game, but like have someone that knows the game better than you that can like walk you through your thought process. That helps a ton to increase like your, your, your like game knowledge, you know, and like decision-making process and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that, um, people just don't talk about enough uh, when you are, um, and this is me carrying over um, kind of some terminology from when I played League of Legends uh, competitively. When you are a faction one trick, um, it's very easy to get frustrated and or feel personally wronged by GW when your faction isn't strong. Um, we all have heard the story. We all know that person who loves X faction. It has like 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 points of that faction. Doesn't have any other factions. And when that faction isn't good, they they come in. If anyone's enjoying, if anyone's having an online conversation, talking about how they enjoy this or they enjoy that, or they they just like Warhammer, they come in and they're just they bring everything down. Yeah. Um, and that sucks. And like sometimes people can just manage that, but a lot of people, you know, are very passionate about this hobby, and a lot of people are just not able to really, or they don't realize that they're bringing down. Um, and I, I always kind of recommend, especially to someone who, you know, like if you just really like your faction, that's fine. And you're able to kind of like temper your expectations. But if you are, a lot of people in stat check are people who are into going to events or traveling or playing competitively. Um, I recommend someone who prefers, who likes the game side of the, uh, or is really into the competitive gaming side of the hobby mm -hmm. to rather than buying that extra thousand two thousand three thousand points of a faction they already own maybe try starting a smaller second army you know maybe even a third um you're gonna buy 
we're all we're all hopelessly addicted to plastic crack at this point. You're gonna have six thousand points of something. It might as well be three different armies or two different armies rather than just one different army. And you're just really hoping that you aren't like you aren't you know number twenty eight on the the power ranking. You know, and yeah. you're just sad for months because you're like, trapped. Having a second faction, uh, we lost it... Scarry. Oh, hey, you're back. Hey, uh, having um, a having a second faction is um is I think a good idea. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and try and make it as like polar opposite to your faction as possible. You know what I mean? Because yes. then, like, if shooting is is powerful, and you have a melee army, you can just kind of transition to a, like a melee focus thing. If like you want to have a like, if it's too powerful and you're not finding games because everybody hates your guts and you're playing like Eldar, then play like something else <laughs> to like actually get games at your local game store, or you can like mix it up a little bit. So yes, it's one of the reasons why I have like Dark Eldar. And Black Templars, right? Like Black Templars were my original army, and they're Space Marines. They're always going to be like supported. <laughs> and then in, you've got in some in some form. in some way, and then you got Elves, right? Which somehow always are busted at some point every edition. That's a that's a good little segue, uh, Sam. Uh, and I asked him uh, if this question was for both of us because it sounded like he was responding to something we specifically said. So I just want to kind of get the context. Um, Sam says, did you find the difference from shooting dominant to melee dominant hard to manage or get your head around? Um, I think that might have been from my flip from Dark Eldar to Necro. What? I asked him, he said he said it was towards me, but I think we could de definitely oh. both like rip well, on this then, for sure. But yeah, we're, mean... we're both we're both going to answer this for sure. I just wanted to make sure that I was yeah. that I, I didn't like go off on a tangent and I, and I didn't answer his question because uh, I go on tangents all the time. But uh, it was it, Iron Hands was a nice segue into the world of melee because mm -hmm. going from Tau to iron hands iron hands shot almost as hard but they could punch as well uh so yeah. when people initially uh, that's the that's actually the best way to close distance with people i've found is you shoot them really hard and then they come towards you yeah. um that's actually that's actually you have the centurions in that list wasn't it like you had like the the couple of assault centurions or whatever just as a counter charge unit some of the lists had them <laughs> Some of them had them. Um, yeah. I didn't like those ones that much, although there was a Raven Guard list at the time that was very, very strongly built around Centurions. Um, that mm -hmm. was more of a melee list with shooting. That list was actually more fun. Um, but I definitely understood after that why so many people played Marines. Granted, they were super strong, but it was a lot of fun, and they had more rules than anyone else at the time, and there's more customization. Uh, but it was, it was nice because I went from an army that was 100% shooting to an army that was nine like 80 percent shooting 20 percent melee but shot almost as hard as the 100 percent shooting army yeah. um and was more durable and i didn't have to manage like the thing is the eighth edition triptide it, you were basically playing like aura management tycoon because you just have like a ton of three inch ores and you're just constantly having to shift around and then, then you had to play the order of operations games it was the best with the iron hands it was like okay captain lieutenant everyone's durable feel the pain have fun um so that well, was nice. and and then, check yeah exactly and then i pivoted <laughs> That LBO, I, they started releasing all the sister stuff. I love that because it was just, it was so cool. Um, and then that's actually when I kind of really got into Melee. Um, and Sisters at the time, when their book dropped in 8th edition, tail end of 8th edition, their shooting sucked at the time. So it was just all Melee. You had like one unit of Flamers, and that was it. Everything was Melee. Um, and that is actually when I... Um, like I said, there was no way to mitigate interrupts. There was no fight first. There was no fight last. There was no fight on death. Uh, you didn't have any shooting. Um, all your stuff was T3. And that's when I, I actually, between that and the Marines, um, 
there was a lot of overlap between myself, um, John Lennon, and Jack Harpster and the, the armies we were playing because he was on Blood Angel. Harpster was on Blood Angels and Sisters. John was on just Marines in general and Sisters. And so we kind of formed like a little chat. And that's actually where I did a lot of learning on Melee. I was like, hey, man, I just get plastered by the interrupt every single time. Like, how do you deal with this? Uh, and that's where they basically they taught me all the little Melee tricks. And I would immediately go try to put them in practice. I would go back and be like, hey, this works great, but this came up, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I learned a whole new side of the game that I'd never really like seen or whatever before. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because after that, just on a whim, I just took the uh, I just took the towel out uh, for a GT for old times' sake. And now that I'd seen all the melee stuff on the flip side, I knew how to screen it out. I knew how to block it. I knew when to get the hell out of dodge and everything like that. Um, and it was just my performance just immediately went up with that list. So it was really cool to see. Yeah, knowledge is power. You know, and sometimes being able to play one thing gives you a lot of information on another that you wouldn't have gotten if you didn't play it. It's one of the reasons why, you know, even playing a game as a different faction, it can be so important for your faction. You know, like if your friend is testing and instead of bringing the same list that you bring all the time, play like a complete different faction, like grab a faction like that you're that you just want to learn yourself and just put it on the table. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I want to hear your I want to hear your opinions to uh, Sam's questions, too. Um, like, how'd you go, I guess, specifically in Dark Elder, but just in general, um, Dark Elder, you last edition was melee dominant. Now you're shooting dominant. Like, how did uh, how did you handle that, that switch? Uh, I went through my bits box and found that I had all the Dark Lances I needed because um, <laughs> of because I've been collecting Dark Elder for so long. So 27 Dark Lances, let's go. So it was, um, it's all about movement more than anything, you know, and it's very much trying to get angles on like, you know, mm -hmm. um, and using reserves to make sure that you get the saturation of firepower onto like a specific unit that you need. And it's also about um, being able to put enough pressure on your opponent with that movement. Cause just cause you're, it's actually probably harder to play like a shooting army that's fragile like dark eldar than it is to play mm -hmm. a combat army that's like custodies right because custodies mm -hmm. oh, can just like sure. run up in the middle they've got a little bit of guns and then they just bully you off the objectives you know and it's like and that's how they win the game but with dark eldar you have to combine movement combine firepower to kill targets because one dark lance does absolutely nothing you need all of them to shoot like one target to make sure it like dies you need way more than you think you need to get the job done but getting them all in that one spot is the hardest part right so it's about that maneuverability and but also getting pressure into the midboard to score your primary points and to score your secondary points throughout the whole game um so it has been less it's been like i didn't really play dark eldar when it was like stupid like i played a couple of games but once it toned down i had a lot of fun developing my phantasm grenade launcher list with dustin from the stutter scrub I um, I love that list. I played that list a couple times. It was so much fun. That list was like the magnum opus of ninth edition Dark Eldar because it wasn't a crazy army at that point. It had been toned down, but it had all the tools that you needed to win the games, like against like possessed spam and all the crazy stuff you saw in that like last bit of ninth edition. So transitioning from that to what I am doing now, 
is instead of it's still shooting because that list was a lot more shooting than than the other stuff was it just doesn't have that sort of like combat potential with like the incubi and the fights last you know what i mean so you, you just have to mitigate that but this the concept was very similar move pick a target because you'd send a venom up right and then lower its leadership and then just focus on that target until it was eliminated and then move on so the concept's very close to what i was playing end of ninth edition anyway yeah it's um and that's a good thing to mention i think um one of the um i do this a lot was i apply a lot of the lessons i learned with um with Tau back in 8th edition, I plan mm -hmm. to Chaos Knights now. Um, Chaos Knights are a little more independent and they could switch targets a lot easier than Tau could in 8th edition with the whole Mark Life in the game. Yeah. Um, but one of the biggest one of the biggest lessons I learned with Tau was um, was target priority uh, and your target management. Usually, especially if you're playing like shooty heavy, um, shooting heavy army, uh, a lot of people like to just go for like maximum like efficiency and they want to put every single profile into what it needs to get put into. Um, and then they, they get a little dice spike or whatever. They don't, they overkill this thing. They underkill this thing. Uh, this thing gets pulled out of range. This thing yeah. gets pulled out of line of sight. And next thing you know, like they just lose the game. They don't really know where it, when all went wrong. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to master is, um, you definitely want to park, you know, um, your long range guns. You don't necessarily like line up your long range guns into targets. It's more that you put your long range guns into lanes into they, positions yeah exactly they cover the entire lane and they're kind of like mm -hmm. you move into this lane you might not die you will get shot and then you just sit at the back of it and you just cover maybe you're on an objective you know but not if it puts you into danger um if it's going to put you in danger you just go all the way in the back now you're yep. in the lane you're safe because you're ranged and you're also screening your backfield a little bit because you are existing there um and so usually those when you're able to do that as long as the game doesn't go sideways you either get to shoot all game or you get to keep that lane empty of your opponent because they don't want to move there. Mm -hmm. um, and then your, all your mid and your short range guns, you're kind of putting them at almost at like intersections or where they can cover multiple lanes. And the idea is that every single turn you have one problem and that's your biggest, your highest priority. And so you need to, if you need to, every single gun in your army has to be able to take a shot at that unless it's doing something more important like yeah one thing has to be on your home objective it just has to be if you and if every single army um every single army a gun every single unit in your army has a gun but something has to be in your home objective and that guy can't see well i guess he just doesn't get to shoot because you got to score primary points but you if you need to you need to put every single gun into that target because that target has to die in shooting this turn or you lose the game that's the mindset you get into yeah but if you overkill it you don't want to waste all that shooting. So that's where your secondary target comes in. And you need to try to get as many as many guns as you can that can also have line of sight and range to a second target, maybe a tertiary target. And the idea is that you just shoot and you shoot and you shoot until that first target is gone. And then once that problem solved, you're like, cool, goal achieved. But I don't want to waste all the shooting. So I'm going to put it into these secondary and tertiary targets, you know, or whatever they can see or just whatever is opportunistic. Because your secondary or tertiary target is going to become your primary target next turn usually yeah now you have, now you have less work to do um and that's that's something that I, everyone's kind of like you know we'll kind of say oh well melee is harder than shooting yes in a way it is but if you mess up your target priority 
you can there's a lot of rates you can step mm -hmm. all the shooting armies and i've seen yeah, it with don't. the lance list. you can absolutely have them with the lance list yeah don't 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 set don't split fire <laughs> it's usually, like usually just, not worth it just just shoot just if you need to kill something just shoot it till it's dead and then move on like it's just so yep. much easier than splitting your fire and leaving two things with one wound left alive it's like that's the worst feeling in the world especially when it comes to shooting and combat still has value especially in this edition right now and it always has which is trying to flush things out of where you can't shoot them you know what i mean like that's just you know, having something that could potentially do that is important some factions can't really do that right now and some factions have access Poor to fights are. first which is incredibly powerful right even if you get charged right but there's um but i think there's still value in that as well for sure. And it's, it's always nice when you have that army that's just kind of existing in that Goldilocks zone where you just have, mm -hmm. um, not that I like indirect, but it is nice when you have good indirect. Um, and so you have, you have good movement, you have decent durability, you have good combat, you have good shooting, you have some indirect. Um, and then it just feels like you can create a take all comers combined arms list that just kind of has all the answers. But because you didn't skew really hard into any one specific stat yeah um you have to know how to play the army you have to get those reps in because there's a lot of, there's so many tools where you can accidentally spend your resources on the wrong tool or pull the wrong tool at the wrong time and you yeah. got to get those reps in and that's when those armies are good but not overpowered they feel very rewarding to play yeah. um i always recommend as well make sure you play out your uh, games and uh, don't just quit like after one bad turn, yeah. you know, too many yeah. people quit and don't learn how to play down, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to learn how to play down to win while you're down, you know? Um, and uh, you, people go, oh, the first shooting phase. Oh, you killed my land fortress. Oh no, I quit. You know what I mean? This I is quit. not like, I quit. This is not going to be a game anymore. Like, okay, well, <laughs> sure. You know, like put that, put your head down and just get it done play the whole game yeah. exactly gets good scrappy with it especially if you're playing in any kind of differential format scrappy. uh definitely that's scrappy. the word i was looking for i actually my my son plays football soccer and uh he was uh he's a defender and today he was just like just chasing people down and just like crushing them on the ball and that was great to see and i was like it was on the tip of my tongue and what i meant to tell it was that he was being scrappy Right, and that, but now, thank you. You've just, uh, anyway, tangents. Not a problem, man. <laughs> cool. Well, that, uh, Scar, man, that was a, that was a great conversation. Um, I'm looking through, make sure we didn't miss anything, but I thought that was, um, that we really ran the gamut. Um, I guess the only thing I would ask is just, um, just parting, parting gift before we close the book, uh, the book on that chapter in this conversation is, uh, going back to killing your darlings. Let's say that someone is, um, they are set on a faction mm -hmm. their faction is good maybe not overpowered but good it can like it can win gts it can podium the majors um yep. they are they're still learning so it's definitely it's definitely not the list like the, definitely not the faction holding them back okay. um, but they they're getting to the point where it's just like they just they can't let go of like a certain unit or they can't let go of a certain combo and they really like it and they acknowledge that maybe it is a problem you know but they they just need that little push externally you know to to like you know just 
grab a combo that works or grab something that's tried to or tested or is objectively powerful, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're willing to do it, but they just can't quite, you know, do it themselves. They need that push. Uh, do you have any like words of encouragement, advice, anything for like for that, you know, someone finding themselves in that situation? Um, I would say that it's you have to understand that if you make a choice like that, it's like more of an experiment than anything. You know, it's not like you're betraying your your darling by like putting something new into your list or something that you might enjoy practicing with if you tried it, but you just are afraid. And as humans, we're creatures of habit. You know, we like our little boxes that we create for ourselves. We like our schedules. We like our, you know, our, we're comfortable. We like comfort. We don't like change, right? Change is not fun. And if I take, you know, if I take my scourge in every list and all of a sudden someone's like, well, you know, scourge, like you'd be better off if you took, you know, void weavers instead of scourge or whatever. And I'd be like, ah, but I really like the scourge. They're an iconic unit. I haven't used them in forever and I really want to make them work or whatever. You, I would say as like a coach, I'd say, okay, try them at one RTT. Yeah. Do take them one time, you know, just play them, you know, more than once in a row, you know, force yourself to take them. And then by the end of the third day, you'll be like, nope, didn't vibe with me. You know, the first day you'd be like, nope, that's it. I'm like, I was a good experiment, but no, I'm going back to my tried and true. Or you'd be like, I got to admit they were actually kind of cool, you know, but the whole point is just putting them on the table and you have to force yourself to do it. Um, but you have to think about it as a, like just a test. And it's like a finite test to get data, you know, like <laughs> that's it. And, uh, and then you, and then hopefully you, you pull through with it. You know what I mean? You know, and some, for some people it's, I'm just going to take what I'm paint, what I have painted. Right. And that's literally their darling is their, their hobby score. Right. And they're like, well, I'm taking sure. these units because it's what I have painted, which is fine. You know, and some people paint fast and some people paint slow. Um, so I'd say, you know, borrow it from someone who's already got it painted or whatever, you know, like there's, there's, there's ways around it, but don't be afraid to experiment. It is fun. That's great advice. And I would also just, the only thing I would just add on to that is um, when you do these test games, um, be honest and ask yourself like the games where I was testing, were they representative, you know, because yep. if you, if you deployed it wrong and it got shot the board turn one, or like game one, you you deploy wrong, get shot at the board. Game two, you reserve it, it dies in deep strike because you forgot to bring it on. Uh, game three, it's a shooting it's a shooting unit. It gets tagged because you forgot to screen and someone hit the nine inch charge. You didn't pre measure forever. Yeah, or you didn't pre measure and it gets yeah. wrapped and never gets to shoot. And so three games, you're like, oh, this unit sucks. You just toss it out and you never use it again. It's kind of like, well, those games weren't really representative because you never really got those those data points of seeing it do what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so that is something to consider. I agree, Tim. That's like, that's that's great advice. Um, just just building on just building on what you already your answer was fantastic. I was just a little footnote. Um, so Scar, I almost called you Cliff because you're about to become my honorary co-host. Uh, ah, yes. Scar, we, it is that time. It I is time for you, questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna call him Archon Cliff next episode. He's not gonna understand why. Uh, we're going to roll into questions. We have a decent amount, um, and you are going to help me. You're going to help me answer them anyhow. But now you're definitely going to help me Apple, answer. Apple, bananas. Um. <laughs> so the first one is from Frank uh, from Statue Discord. He says, "Hey Tim and Scarry, now one comment and one question. Apologies, advance for the length. 
Uh, first to Cliff's point last episode on balance, I agree. I think for me, I don't know why everyone else, when I say balance, it's less making everything perfectly balanced as all things should be and more making the obviously broken stuff not broken. I think GW acknowledging they want to hit a goalie lockstone win rates is a step in the right direction since they know there's a balance, but 10th is definitely in the early alpha stage. Um, so he's just commenting on last episode. I'll have to go back and listen to that, get the context. Which, which uh, is, so, I agree with you, and Cliff is right. Great start. Uh, so here's the question. He says, um, and and Scar, you definitely, I think, will be able to answer this. He said, how have you guys gotten out of the mindset of measuring your self-worth or event experience purely in wins and losses? I used to do competitive powerlifting with that mindset of measuring how well you do, being important is much more ingrained to, to the nature of the event. I'll buy it in a more positive way of setting personal bests. Whereas in 40K, that mindset can almost be toxic and extremely detrimental to your gameplay. I've got my first super major coming up in Nova, and I don't want performance measuring to taint my experience if I don't live up to self-set expectations. We've all heard it, you know, the person who says, first GT, I'm going to go 3-2. If I don't go 3-2, I'm just going to... The mental I'm going to sell, I'm going to burn my army. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Scary, please leave with this. I want to hear about this. Um, well, managing expectations is a massive part of going to any event. You know what I mean? Like, even me going to LVO. You know, I hadn't been to LVO in a couple of years. And I was like, last time I went to LVO, last time, that was in 2019. 2019? Yeah. I was like, I went four and two. I lost to Manny and Alex Harrison. So I was like, okay, it's been a while since I've been to an event of that size. So, but I expect, I know to expect a four and two from myself. Like I know I, that's like my, my baseline. Cause I didn't have any other baseline to do that from. So I was like, okay. So I went, I ended up going four and two, um, with a very close third round game, uh, that could have gone my way. So it was, so that's me going and managing expectations at a thousand person major. You know what I mean? Um, if you have never gone to an event before, your expectation should be to set that expectation for the next one. You know what I mean? Like go and just play games. And honestly, the first time you go to a big event, it can be, if you're not used to competitive environments or a tournament in general, you're up 12 hours in a day, right? Like it's a 12 hour day. You're on your feet, usually on concrete. Sometimes there's carpet, but you're on your feet. You bent over this table and doing this the entire time. So you either like your back's going to hurt, your legs going to hurt. You're like, it, there's so loud, right? Like you sometimes have to yell to talk to the person like right in front of you across the table. The physical aspect of the game itself will crush you if you're not prepared for that. And so then the whole win loss ratio will just compound if you really take it too seriously especially if it's like the first time that you're experiencing it in my like from what i've seen when people go to an event for the first time you do have to have expectations for yourself i think but the expectation of your first event ever should be no expectation go have fun and feel it right like understand what it feels like to go to play six rounds in a weekend or to play seven rounds or nine rounds or whatever, however long this event is. And then like take that and then apply it for next time. Like it's a cycle. If you want to play 40K competitively, it is a process of learning. 
You know, if you want to get good at the game, you know, you can dive in, sure, and like try and do, you know, try run the marathon with the marathoners. But until you've done it a few times, you won't really understand like the pacing. You won't understand that you should have brought Advil and two measuring tapes because the one you did bring ultimately broke, right? And then you were like, didn't have a measuring tape. Um, and then you were worried about the measuring tape and forgot about your game, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's just so many more things that have to do with the competitive aspect of the game than just winning your game is about like that Pavlovian pyramid of need, uh, not Pavlovian pyramid of needs, Maslow's pyramid of needs, where like the first thing you need to make sure of is like you're, you're like, you're physically set, you know, you've got food, shelter, right? Like you're meant, you're prepared for that. And then you can kind of work your way up to that sort of like pinnacle of competitive nature. Once you kind of like get every rung on this stage set, like it makes the process a lot easier. You know, um, you can come in and be like a wonder kid, you know, and be like, I, you know, just go five and oh, whatever your first event ever and just crush everyone. Sure. But that's the, ex that's the exception to the rule. You know, most people who play competitively well play for a long time, go to a lot of events, play a lot more games than you will ever play. And you need to just process that information, be okay with playing the game and learning. And that in itself is a goal, especially early on in a competitive like career, you know, if you wanted to take it to that point. I mean, Fantastic answer. Um, my half of it, uh, I would say that um, short answer, uh, short, easy answer would just be therapy. Highly recommend for everyone. But uh, that's a great way to separate, you know, like what actually is a good way to, like, to determine your self-worth. Uh, the long answer and the non-joking answer, again, is just um, so much of 40K competitively um, it just feels like it gets better with time and repetition, mm -hmm. all aspects of it. Um, mm -hmm. The more games you play purposely with the intent to improve, the more you'll improve. Um, every time I thought I hit a plateau, I would just like change armies or I would change approaches or mm -hmm. I even take a break from the game for a little bit, you know, but not a long time, but it's just like maybe like a month off. Um, and then get right back into it, you know, maybe like try something different change it up a little bit but just keep playing yeah um and just you know and sometimes people just get they spend way too much it's, it's easy now with discord and whatsapp and facebook messenger and all these groups and all these coaching and everything it's easy to kind of get sucked into like the content and the online and always get plugged in always talk about it and like people are only talking about their wins they're not really talking about their losses and you compare yeah. yourself to them that kind of stuff um it's very easy to get sucked into that. And then once you finally, you're doing, you're online so much and then you're talking about this game all the time. And then when you finally play, you've only played like four games in a month or something like that, you know, and you're not really prepared or you're, yep. you don't really know what's up. And you just set this expectation because the online, that's whatever, everyone online that you talk to, you know, they're saying like three, two, four, one, six, oh, whatever. And you're kind of like, oh, that seems normal, right? So you set it and it just, things just don't quite go right. And next thing you know, yep. you're like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it, but I'm not doing it. Like, do I suck? Blah, blah, blah. Is this not normal? Just, uh, so it's very, it's very easy to do that. Um, but the more games you play, the more you won, the more you just kind of learn to just enjoy the game, play the game, and be happy more when you 
spotted a screen or you spotted a gap in the screen or you made a yep. really good play, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of live more for these little moments in the game. And as you do that, and as you start getting better, the the win as you get better as a person, the the winning record, the X and one, everything, that will come naturally. Yeah. Um, so just chasing this arbitrary number, which by the way is more tied to the strength of the field, more often than not, and pairings, rather than you as as a player. Granted, you as your strength as a player is a part of it, but a lot of times, like four and one, the difference between four and one, three, two, is really a lot of it is pairings and pairings in the strength of the field my last my last two lvos uh i went five and one and i went four and two and that four and two felt way harder than the five and one the field was just there's just more people that joined the game we had a bunch of europeans come over mm -hmm. you know that kind of infiltrated the field the field was noticeably harder yeah um i'm way more proud of that four and two than the five and one because i had to work really hard for it yeah. Uh, so just don't even tie, don't even tie yourself for to that number at all. One, just just if you have to go in and expect going to zero six, and you're just looking to learn and you're just looking to experience. Yeah. Focus more about what's happening in your game rather than that arbitrary number that shows up in BCP at the end of the event. Yeah, remember that uh, ninety nine percent of people will lose a game. You know I mean, like yeah. there's only one person that will not lose a game out of a thousand people. So, like, as soon as you've lost the game, you are part of everyone else. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just normal. Um, I don't, but yeah, I don't know a single guy who's undefeated. Right. You know, it's it, – and and you have to understand that, like, you know, how, like, for example, Harpster, who ended up winning, you know, he he lived Warhammer for a year. You know I mean, like, he went to work doing Warhammer and then would go home and play Warhammer. And he would do that every day, every week. You know what I mean? Three games a day or something like that. Like, he played so much Warhammer in that year, right? I also, is... I also highly recommend um, our the episode of the main show, Stat Check, um, with Harpster on. He talks about it. He, when he was with Beast Coast um, and before Beast Coast, I think he said he was playing for something for, like, eight years competitively and just couldn't quite ever make, like, convert you know, mm -hmm. a podium. It took him a long time to even get to the point where he was podiuming. And then after that, he just he just couldn't quite convert it. And he didn't really become the harpster we know um we know now as um he was like the type of person who would podium at GTs and stuff like that. But he didn't really start doing that converting until as recently as like post pandemic or like right around when the pandemic yeah, was yeah, happening. Like in that, you know? in that, he was, he was chasing the dragon for a long time, and um, it, it took a lot of. Like I say, he just kept grinding at it. He kept grinding yep. at it, and he was he was getting. He even said he was getting very discouraged, but it was just that single mindedness. He's like, I'm just going to yep. keep grinding at it. You know, you you have to um, be mildly obsessed to get to to be a professional in any sport. You know what I mean? Like you have to be mildly. You know, if you Tim and I are like thinking about something, we'll be like. You know, we'll be doing stuff and we're still thinking about an army list that we're going to take to the next event or whatever. Like we're just just we live the game in a lot of ways. And some people want to do that. But other people, you know, they this is their hobbies and they want to really just go to the dinner with everybody at the GT like we talked about before. Yep, exactly. And both are perfectly valid ways to um, both are perfectly valid ways to, you know, to enjoy the hobby. But like mm -hmm. I said, you also have to. 
realize that there are people who obsess about the game and some of the people just obsess about it online but the people who actually obsess about it and bounce it off other people who also obsess and then also play lots of games they will just win games because they play all the time those little small mistakes they just they won't make as much uh so the next question um i'm gonna have to recuse myself uh from this question because it's about uh, WTC team stuff. And if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to either. You can just give a knowing wink to the camera. But this is from uh, Donatus. I will look straight uh, at the what... camera and say no comment. <laughs> what are some good and bad matchups for Necrons? Why do you think USA and the UK didn't take them? Well, I'll tell you the best matchup for Necrons right now. Adeptus Mechanicus. <laughs> all right uh we yeah we might have to we might have to put a pin in this one um, uh, i yeah, will say i, I did want to say something though in relation sure. i'll take this time as a tangent on the last question again um sure. and, then, and then like in terms of worst matchups you know i'll probably say um it, you know the everybody's worst matchup is just eldar like they just kill everything right is that just how that works you know i've never won against eldar so um yeah you know, i might have something in my eye hold on a second I don't know what that is. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, teams, if you're doing some scouting, yeah, just Eldar really crushes me. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, I want to say that a lot of, there's been an influx of people playing um, uh, TTS right over the pandemic and stuff like that. And a lot of people have been playing on leagues or stuff like, uh, you know, tactical tortoise pods or whatever, right? And I will tell you right now, if you have been playing a lot of TTS and you want to go to actual tabletop at a GT, it's not the same. It is very different. It, just in terms of not the game itself, but the processing of information. And that throws a lot of people off. So if you do a lot of testing on TTS, don't be afraid to just put stuff on an actual table to get to that 3D version. First of all, like the biggest thing is the way you're standing on the table, you're getting like a different angle of where models are. And I've noticed people forget where units are, or models, or, you know, because they, they're used to going top down and being able to like highlight all their units and kind of see where everything is. So, you know, just as a note, if you're a big TTS player, and you want to like make the jump into actual tabletop and play real Warhammer, um, make sure you get some test games before you go to a GT. You know what I mean? Like actually put some models on the table and just see how it feels. Yeah. TTS has been a fantastic resource and mm -hmm. we would not have been able to do the type of testing that we've done on Team USA um, without it. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of other teams are the same thing. It's just been as far as I can tell, it's completely transformed uh, the competitive and the uh, and the team's environment. Um, and it's great because like, you just get to play against people you you would have never played against. You know, yeah. these these people who are people who are rarely in the same country at the same time. Yeah. And then they go to the same event, but pairings they just miss each other and they just yeah. they never have an opportunity to play together again. Now it's like you know if you have a, like, some sort of connection with that person or if you play in a league or whatever, you can, you just link up and you just play. Great. Uh, it's it's Great really tool. cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And then also stuff like uh, like our coaches, Typhus and um, and Innes, they're able to coach clients in Australia, USA, stuff like that. Um, and also just in addition with WTC and teams getting more popular and then Anthony's work and then stat check in general. Um, it has been really cool. This is a little bit of a tangent. It's just been really cool to see 
uh, Warhammer become more international. Like the communities yep. are kind of doing this. That's yeah. super cool to see. It's really uh, Donatus, cool. I'm sorry. We really can't. Unfortunately, we can't answer that question. Um, but I will I will pin it and uh, I will get uh, I'll get Scari's response uh, offline. And uh, we, will, we will definitely address this uh, on the next episode after WTC. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a troll question here about Sigmar. Um, I play Sigmar. Come on, I play. I play Skaven, Hedonites, Lanesh. Uh, I play Lizardmen, Seraphon. Come on. I got I got Lizardmen for uh, for my wife, and then I've I've always been a Skaven um, fanboy. I will just I'll always have Skaven, even when I don't play Sigmar. I just love Skaven. I You're love so Skaven. Cool. Like I love Skaven. Like Ribbon loves Dark Eldar. That's a that's a that's a that's, I, a, that's a tall order I, right there. I'm telling you, man. I I've been playing Skaven since fifth edition Warhammer Fantasy. Nice. I I love Skaven. OG. Oh, <laughs> I actually a have lot. a whole Tomb King army in my in a oh. couple of boxes that I'm just drooling over, looking at like waiting for the old world. And then Dustin from the Stutter Scrub is literally bringing me more Tomb Kings on Saturday, and I'm gonna get my first ever metal pewter casket of souls. That I've never owned since I owned the Tomb Kings. I never actually had an actual casket. I'm so excited. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. When uh when uh when the old world comes out, I'm gonna trim all the circle bases off my Skaven, put them right back in the record file. Yep. Uh, let's see. From uh Paul Unsen, also known. I'm I'm sorry if I butchered the last name. I just know you as Glard. Um, says be honest. Uh, Ribbon, how hard did you push Drakari? How hard did what? How hard did you push Drakari for uh, Team Canada? Um, well, I was, I was, I pushed it quite a lot. I love that faction. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there's also something to be said when they're when a player has like buy-in on a faction. You know, they are going to do everything they can to try to make it work. You know, you know, like turn. if there's one thing that I am, it's flexible. Yes, I'm typecast as the Dark Eldar player, but I will play every faction, and I will, I can win with any faction. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm I, I'm not exclusive to Dark Eldar. I don't think Dark Eldar are exclusive at all. Um, in so you're their, saying you dabble? You dabble? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, like you know, did did were we trying to make it work? Absolutely. You know what I mean? But the whole point of a team based format is to take the best lists for the team strategy, if that makes sense, and for the meta itself as a whole taking into account you know what we might see terrain like pairings you know a whole variety of different things and it takes i think it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to say yes this is something that we should do for the team than it is to sort of like push an agenda if that makes sense you know what i mean like so even though i'm sure. like you know I, yeah sure this is a good strong list you have to be able to identify why and, and kind of take a step back and humble yourself and be like you know what i i need to do whatever is best for the team rather than like for my online brand you know at this point i'm like playing for a national team here i'm not trying to like get more patreons you know what i mean <laughs> it's 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 about the it's about the the the, the competition we, aspects we looked at it uh we looked at it a lot on team usa um and especially in in the in the early early 10th edition, like when we kind of had all the rules, we just really dive in. Um, and then we kind of, we kind of um, coalesced on the on on the list, I think a lot of people kind of coalesced on 
pretty quickly, which is the way I spam. Um, I think I, I think I can talk about this. Um, I'm just going to talk about it because neither one of these two factions are on our comp, so I'm not really giving any trade secrets away here. Yep. Um, but when we were testing Thousand Suns and then we were testing um, Dark Eldar, we actually found that Dark Eldar, like our list, was actually doing pretty well in the Thousand Suns because at the time it was like Magnus. It was like Magnus and then the, the Brick of Ten uh, Scarab Cult Terminators and like mm -hmm. two to three Middle of Fortes beasts, which yeah. was the build like everyone was running in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so nothing really crazy there. And we were just kind of finding that um, if you just, it was just all the dispersed firepower. They didn't really have a good target to turn off the armor and your armor kind of sucked anyhow. So you didn't really lose anything. Yeah, you, you have a six up in vault or no armor anyway. Yeah, like. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, um, I think it was something like, uh, three scourges, you know, the three scourges, three ravagers. I think we went yeah. with like two chronos for redundancy, or to also like to to kind of push yeah. the auras out a Double little bit. Slank, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You had the you had the characters, um, and then we had two void raven bombers, and that was kind of like the core. Um, and you could, the bombers had to start off the table anyhow. Yep. Uh, and then what we found was pretty good was rapid ingressing the mm -hmm. bombers to really get those good angles. Um, and because when you rapid ingress them, then they can bomb, mm -hmm. you know, instead of companies, they couldn't bomb normally, they couldn't bomb until like turn three, but yep. if you rapid ingress them, they can bomb like right away. Yeah, the Void Ravens uh, are secret souls. So, I love those things. Those things are great. So it was really, it was really good. We found a thousand suns, like hated that matchup because you just got, you just got angles on whatever yep. they were trying to hide. You just shot, you just bombed them and then you just shot the crap out of them and they hated it. It was terrible. Um, bombing, bombing uh, Magnus was real funny. Um, you just put a gazillion like lances on him because he because he would blank the first six shots, whatever he would do, you know, ritual reroll, ritual reroll, CP reroll, CP reroll, blank to save, blank to save. You know, first first six damage is free. You know, but then you just be like, okay, great. Six you you tank six lance shots. I have thirty and then a reroll and hits, and I have two bombs. So what now? Magnus just go away. Yeah. Um, so that was that was actually fun. We actually, like I said, it almost got there. Almost got there. We just found stuff that was stronger. Um, that list was fun. I mean, even though it was a shooting army, I was like, Ooh, that, that's that's actually kind of fun. I almost went on about two Boy Ravens after playing that. I, I'm staring at them right now. They just there you go. right across the room. We're going to see some Void Ravens on stream soon? Uh, yes, I'll be I'll be bringing them out for the CCPP. So, awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excited to watch that. Uh, so the next one, uh, what is everyone's favorite mixed drink at a convention bar? Scary, do you have a? Uh, I'm a teetotaler, so tea. I'm a little, I'm a little bit of a lightweight nowadays too, but um, I always love a good old fashioned. Nice. Love, love me some bourbon. Love me some whiskey. I will drink just tonic water. I think that's okay. delicious. Uh, Donatus really chasing the Necrons. Um, Says biggest mistakes when playing Necrons. Um, the biggest mistake when playing Necrons is trusting the Satan. For me, for me personally, fuck out your soul and make you automata. <laughs> the uh, for me, it's um, <laughs> when I think I think being a little too conservative with your with your movement and your deployment. You gotta you are trying to be the defensive stat check. You have to be willing willing to like show a little bit of leg um because what i have found is if someone beats you to the center objective and just parks a whole bunch of oc and a whole bunch of stuff on it and you're now you're trying to, 
now you're in the awkward position where you're unkillable, but you're trying to muscle your way onto the center objective versus just being on there and asking them to push you off. Uh, it's a lot harder to win that way. So start at least, I would start, unless you're playing Eldar, but if you're playing Eldar, we know how that's, that's going to work. But if you're not playing against Eldar, start at least one Lich Guard Brick on the line or as close to as you can. Advance turn one. Don't be afraid to spend your CP on that advance roll if it rolls a little bit low and get your butt on that center objective as soon as possible. Um, that's the biggest, that's the biggest one I see. People are like, they roll, they, they start, they're a little further back than they should be. They roll in advance, they roll two, they're like, oh, that sucks. And they save that CP for something else. I'm like, no, start on the line, roll. If it's a one or two, CP reroll, get up there. Necrons are slow. Right there. Yeah, yeah, they're slow. They're slow. Yeah. You, you, gotta under... get, you gotta get on that center objective immediately. There's there's a lot of uh, sometimes there's no center objective. <laughs> when there's no center objective, life is just rough. Um, <laughs> who's got better secondaries? Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, or who or who is really really good at rapid ingressing? Mm. Uh, Void Raven bombers. That is true. Um, yeah, that's that's the that's the fun trades I've learned with uh, rapid ingressing is rapid ingressing uh, infantry units. So that way they get the heavy bonus when they shoot because mm -hmm. uh, they stay still. Or rapid ingressing a uh, a flyer or a bomber, so that way, like your turn, they just fly instead of just deep striking on them. Then they get those good angles. Yeah. Uh, from Adam, what changes need to happen to the Chikari Index new codex in order for them to be more competitive? Uh, we could be here all night. So if you're, you know, um, I think one of the main changes would be the viability of witches against multiple targets that aren't just infantry. You know, like having anti-infantry on like the succubus weapons or Lilith's weapons is really nice. Having sustained hits or the extra strength on the on the witches is okay with like a succubus or Lilith. Um, something like adding lethal hits to to like witches would actually make them viable. You know, um, to like be able to take out a rhino. Yeah, you know I mean, or like, or to just go and be able to fight something that's high to higher than toughness six. You know. Or higher than toughness five, and I think that change alone would increase the damage potential in close combat, and then maybe having some way of getting like a fights first that isn't just an Urkel in a Cavalite squad. Uh, yeah, or you don't, witches, you, don't you, know I mean? you don't care about it. You don't care right. about it. Right. Like squad. it's okay with the witches and stuff, but like being able to have like a, I don't know, I don't know if they're gonna bring fights last back, right? Because fights first is really good. And I've been toying with some ways to like disrupt combos by killing characters and stuff like that, like some like tech that I'll be showcasing at the CCPB. But um, I think one of the main things is making the combat units more viable against a variety of targets, so that if they hit something, they kill it. The closest I've been able to get to with that is like Drazar and his Incubi. They're a little bit more expensive, but that plus one to wound with strength four actually means they can hurt stuff. <laughs> rather than just completely bounce off of targets that are not just infantry. Um, and that's like the main sort of like thing that I can think of just off the bat. Like it's a small change that would have a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels like, um, it definitely feels like Incubi is just kind of missing something. Um, mm -hmm. Well, strength forward. five hitting on twos an extra AP, like they are definitely missing a lot of stuff. <laughs> missing sure. a lot. You know, yeah. it's, um, yeah, like like right now, witches seem like they line up okay into chaff, which is, which would be fine if Incubi lined up well into medium yep. slash heavy infantry and Talos lined up well into vehicles and monsters. Mm -hmm. But it's just 
I don't know, like when I played the Dark Elder, it found like, yeah, my witches were killing their screens or their chaff and like and uh, isolated characters fine. But like Incubi lining up into like Marines and Terminators just wasn't quite getting there. Nope. And then Talos, it just again, like, you know, they, it feels like they you want to line them up into vehicles and monsters, that kind of stuff. And just it just wasn't quite getting there. And um, I would I would definitely like to see some buffs to the melee where they can at least kill the targets you're trying to line them up into. Yep. Uh, next question. How did you get the damage out of that Necron list to shatter the Custodes bricks before they hit you? Uh, That's you... a good question. Um, that is I a good think... question. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, that was one of the games that was not streamed. Um, so... Well, admittedly, the Custodes player was a newer Custodes player. You know, he he has been playing Custodes. He's a newer player to the game. Him and I had played before at another GT like two months ago in like tenth edition or whatever. So in ninth edition, I was playing the triple Tantalus witch cult build that I was just like memeing with at the end of the edition, which was really fun. And uh, and so. I kind of understood like his play style and I was playing a completely different list. So I was just able to sort of like pick apart the army one piece at a time. Um, you know, uh, and he did not, the four pluses were not very kind with him. <laughs> Let's just say that when Oof. doomsday arcs pop off against your unit and you don't make any four ups, that's a lot of custodians that go down. <laughs> so it was just like a bad to worse sort of situation there. And Doomsday Arcs are blast, right? Yes. Yeah, they're heavy. They're D6 Ooh. plus one blast. So against like big custodies bricks, they just mm, chef's kiss. It's just. Were you, were you, were you, rolling, were you rolling decent on the number of shots? Uh, yes. Yes, I was. <sighs> no, that would do it. That would definitely yeah. do it. Um, mm -hmm. What's that? What else? Uh, from Neil Care. There's, um... Neil. Oh, my goodness. Neil. He I says. I love it. Best best place to keep your passport in a shoe or elsewhere. It's a little bit of uh, a so fair. the shoe is the Canadian way. Okay, that's just something that we do. Um, it is. It's been <laughs> it's been five years and it still hasn't gotten any not funnier. Uh, even though it's traumatized Val for like years, um, it was not a fun experience for him. But uh, it is something that has stayed. I think now we've transitioned into. Um, one-on-one uh, -on -one bush fights. <laughs> so, so Tim on the team last year, like, was a little bit tipsy allegedly, but he walked twenty feet and fell headfirst into a bush. <laughs> that then literally cut up his face. He looked like he'd gone into like this fight, but he literally just fell into a bush. So now we're gonna have a little pet bush, I think, just like a little pet, like bush that we bring around with us. Well, I guess we could keep our passport like, the space in, it for good in the bush, you know. <laughs> there you go. That's, uh, that's no, from, your question, Neil. From Dan J, this is, uh, I feel like this definitely geared towards you, uh, Scarry. says, how has your relationship with the game and community changed since you became a full-time Warhammer person? That's your job title now, is full-time Warhammer person. Full-time person. Do you ever feel additional pressure to perform because of your status in the hobby and job as a coach? If so, how do you manage it? So is there pressure? Yes, of course there's pressure. Um, you know, is there a financial sort of like connection to 
what I do and me being able to feed my family? Yes. Um, I did do straight commission sales for seven years. So like I have a sales background and experience where I was, you know, doing a variety of sales and it's feast and famine, you know, and, and having that sort of like tough skin has really helped me to kind of, because it is, you know, being a full-time Warhammer player, you're still running a business and you're still trying to meet ends meet. Like my goal isn't to be the richest person on the planet. My goal is to be able to get up in the morning and take my kid to school and go to his soccer games. You know what I mean? Like that's what I want to do with my life. So this has been a fabulous way to do it where I get to make my own schedule, right? I work really hard. I probably work 70 or 80 hours a week. You know what I mean? Like like I work hard to to do what I do. However, I get to choose when I put those hours in, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, and so in terms of pressure and, and stuff, I feel like, yes, I always like to perform, but it's about the the branding that I give out to people. I'm not, when I'm coaching, because I coach for Art of War, I have a, a coach on Patreon. You know, I was one of the first coaches, right, uh, for that people were doing it ever since uh, Nick kind of started doing it. And at first it was like a, it was like a novelty thing. Right. But now people are starting to really understand that it's a lot more than just, you know, trying to be the best. You know, I coach people in gamesmanship mentality mainly, which is about thought process and about like understanding your own sort of like physicality in the game and being able to, you know, catch yourself before you get tilted and, you know, think about like checklists and things to kind of help you along the game. And I find that I don't necessarily need to go to a tournament and win every game for that to be the case, if that makes sense. Right. Like I don't like I'm not um, like the pressure to go win is less because it's more about the attitude that I that I really like teaching people how to try and maintain at a tournament or at a game. It's about that sort of like air of positivity and sort of like stickativity if you want to like achieve a goal like how do you get there without getting discouraged or like using that time that you fall down on your face and like standing back up and brushing yourself off and analyzing what went wrong and and trying again right and having that sort of thought process and mentality in place so i wouldn't be a good coach at that if i didn't show that every single day with like what i do right and so even though i do feel pressure or, you know, I put a lot of work and hours in, you know, I sort of like, I appreciate the process, if that makes sense. Fantastic answer. Uh, and then um, chat, if you haven't noticed, I went ahead and linked uh, Scary's Patreon. So please, if you like, if you like what you hear, go support him. He's a good friend of the show, good friend, good friend of mine, and uh, all stat check guys can definitely vouch for him. Well, thank uh, you. From Tommy... I'm also a stat check Patreon. So yeah. I... Yeah, that's right. Support the content creators that you believe in, right? That's literally, that's just how it works. Just support the people you believe in. That's what we try to do. We just, we felt strongly enough about how we felt about the game and our opinion about the game that we just decided to share it with people and hopefully people like it. And if they like it, they can uh, support us. If not, then you know, not, not for everyone. People can have different opinions. That's fine. Yeah. Um, from Tom H, more general X and one hobby question. How do you keep your hobby expectations reasonable? I keep finding myself overreaching on what I want to attempt and ending up let down when I can't meet them. Um, I personally 
um, I'm very much, I, no matter what, um, I have submitted armies and I have, I have gotten, um, best painted or runner up at, um, at like smaller events like GTs and stuff like that. But I've never actually, I've never actually like submitted my army specifically to be judged. Um, for me, like back when I started, my first models were like these little tiny Skaven, the, rat, the ones that look like monkeys. Yep. They're rats, mm -hmm. but they look like monkeys. They're terrible. Um, but just, I just enjoyed the process. And at first I was just painting, then someone told me how to thin my paints. And then I saw, I learned about dry brushing and my mind was blown. Cause I was like, oh, the texture looks different. It looks cool. picks up all the details. And I found out about inks. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and now there's just so, also, I didn't really have anything to compare myself to except for the armies that were on display at the store. And I was like, yeah. oh, those look cool. Now that like YouTube is a thing, the people are out there. Instagram, it's very easy to, like, like, it's just everywhere. You yeah. see these crazy, so one, the techniques, and then I don't know if painting technology, if that's like a thing, but I don't know if that's improved, but like definitely the techniques and then just the talent and everything has gone crazy. And it's also much easier again to compare yourself to other people and set unreasonable expectations. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to one not do that but find something that works for you like when i paint i paint for me i don't paint for anyone else i i like to sometimes i'll restrict myself to only showing up to an event with painted models just because i like playing with painted models that's just part yeah. of the hobby for me um i find my baseline that i like which a lot of times is just contrast and then a heavy normal oil wash and it looks fine but then sometimes there's a there's a new technique that i saw like pl ooh, plasma coil glow I'll try that. I'm like, oh, this sucks. Or it's this is a lot of work. I don't want to do it. You know, but I'll try yeah. it. Um, or you know, maybe I see a model that speaks to me, and I'm like, this model deserves a little bit better than I normally do. So I'll spend a little extra time on it. Or it's just fun. It's just a fun model to paint, and I'll spend a little more time on it on accident. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just try stuff, and like you said before, look at things like an experiment rather than like a new unattainable standard that you're just setting yourself up for failure when you just don't nail it the gate yeah no that 100 percent is totally makes sense and it's it is hard to look through an, a feed on instagram of like hobbyists and painters and not like judge yourself uh, against something like that as a as a competitive player as a player that has been playing for a long time a lot of my painting had always been transactional painting so i wanted to go to tournament x and take list Y. And therefore I needed to paint these three things to make sure I could have that list for said event, right? And so a lot of my painting was very much, I just needed to get it done. And then I would get it done to like the minimum standard. I needed to take it to said event to count as painted. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like over time you paint and like, yeah, I've got like a nice little paint rack here with all my paints and stuff, right? And what happened was, during COVID, I we did this uh, show called um, Just Put Paint On It, which is like a hashtag that we use. Hashtag Just Put Paint On It, right? Like if you don't know what to do with your hobby, just put paint on it, right? Like prime it, you know, slap some paint on, right? Um, and I started painting things not because I need to go to a tournament because there were none. And I started just like picking out random models that I had had lying around and started painting just for the sake of painting. And I really, really enjoyed it. I painted like Adeptus Titanicus models. I painted a bust, 
right? That somebody like made like Archon Scari bust. It was literally clay, right? Ta-da, right? Like I painted like on stream and stuff. You know, it was really, really cool. And I started just like branching out. Something that I highly recommend is do something different, like a Phantom Titan. Right? I remember that episode. That yeah. was cool. Right? Like I, I remember the episode where you painted that. Yeah, Revenant Titan, Phantom Titan. Like there's just paint something that's just out of your wheelhouse. Like there's literally, like I played, I started playing Necromunda, right? And Necromunda has all these weird models that sometimes don't have models to be represented. And so it encourages you to find 3D prints or convert something that's like in that style. So I painted like a commando pug. It's like literally a, a resin like pug with a bandana and a knife in its mouth <laughs> that somebody gave me at LVO. And I was like, this will make a great Necromunda. So I just painted something different. And all of a sudden you start just having fun with the process of painting, which really helps take away the sort of like the, that pressure of like, you know, I need to get this done to a certain standard. And that is a personal journey. Like it's art. You know what I mean? Like it is art. It is a personal journey. And you have to, at some point, be able to look at a model and say, this is good enough. Right. And it, that's probably the hardest part that I have found is because I've got models and I've had to really push myself to look at models and go, I just need to just be done with this. It's good enough. And then kind of move on to the next project. You know, <laughs> so that's what works for me. And also don't be afraid if you're just, if you're going more for like an artistic kind of approach, um, don't be afraid to like six months, a year down the road, buy a model that you've already painted, buy it again, take another crack at it. Um, take a side by side and compare and you'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised. I guarantee it. Another thing is keep your projects that you've had for a long time. Okay. This is my original black Templar Marshall, Marshall Augustine. He's a metal pewter terminator. Okay. This is going to be Marshall Augustine 2.0. You see, um, I haven't started painting him yet <laughs> because I, I'm very overwhelmed, right? Because this paint job's pretty cool. And this is like 16 year old me paint job, right? And this is 36 year old me paint job. And I still haven't cracked open the paints to try it yet. So like, I'm like, it's sitting there, they're sitting there and it's like a project I want to do. But I just have to put paint on it at some point. But I'm not going to compare it to like somebody else's captain. I'm going to compare it to my captain. You know, I mean, if that makes sense from like when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. Track your progress. I think it's I think it's more fun. It's definitely more fun to see your to track your own improvement versus yeah. always just look at someone else. Um, from Gabe C. Recently, I played a game of Adbeck, and I think they do have some pretty strong data sheets, abilities, cataphrons, mortal wound manipulus, etc. Within the current index but are held back by its attachment rules. Do you think that Advent could potentially become a problem if they're given the attachments, which gives them survivability more lethality? Thanks. Um, maybe. Um, the issue I saw when I saw Advent being played, in addition to like not being very, they have guns, but they're just, some of their data sheets are just not to par. Um, they, just, they just are not statted right, or pointed right, or whatever, or they just have, rules or synergies just make no sense um but they're also they feel like right now everyone is adding more and more terrain gw put out a packet it's way more dense 
WTC, put a packet, it's way more dense. Everyone's more dense. And now you have to be, um, you can't tow on the terrain anymore to shoot through. You have to, uh, you have to either be healed onto it, not towed on, and using like the front or the side of your base to get line of sight to see something, or you have to be wholly within. Um, and there's just multiple, multiple ways to slow down things in the game right now. Um, Thunderfire Cannon keeps you perma-slowed. Uh, some of the guard stuff slows you down, just battle shocks you for no reason. Um, you know, there's that Thousand Suns guy jumps out, picks a unit, you're slowed, then double moves backwards. Uh, the Exalted Flamer on, hits you on a four up, you're slowed. So you end up like having to, your best data sheet is also one of your slowest ones. And you have to like do all sorts of like rapid ingress stuff, which opens you up to being screened out, blah, blah, blah. Um, there could potentially be a world where the shooting just gets so strong that yes it will be a problem or it'll be like a leaf blower but it will it'll really only be a negative player experience for like newer players um it's just right now that army is it's not it's not like the slowest army but it's definitely not fast and it's shooting is really a problem when it is fast or when it has towering keyword it doesn't need to be fast because it just gets angles because it has angles by default uh, right now, Admech, even if the shooting was five times as strong, it just doesn't get angles, especially if you start slowing it down. Um, but it's they not start, fast enough. It's just not fast enough. But if like yeah. if if there is a det- I think if there's a detachment that helps out their transports and or helps out the stuff that can go in transports, and also just makes the army stronger, then like I could I could see that anything anything could become overpowered if you throw enough rules at it. We've seen that. So yes, if there's a detachment that throws enough rules at it, it could be a problem. We saw it in ninth edition. It could happen again. It's only a pen stroke away. But I think that's the that's a big part of the issue right now is it's not strong enough power wise, and it's also slow, so it just doesn't even get angles. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like I haven't really gotten a lot of practice into admech or 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 seeing people play admech because you know there's like the general consensus that it's crappy or whatever right it's it's not it's Um, not pretty right so sadly there's no comment on my end you know all we're going to be seeing is as soon as they start balancing the game which of course games workshop has been more active and proactive about doing than ever in its history you know what i mean like they're they're actively trying to change the game to make it more like balanced in that way so the stuff at the top is supposed to come down and the stuff at the bottom is supposed to come up, right? But as soon as you take away the big guys at the top, the stuff in the middle tends to get, have like go on a power trip and then that might just instantly push the stuff at the bottom down still. Like, you, you know, so we don't know what the repercussions. It's like an ecosystem where you introduce, you know, a cane frog and then all of a sudden, like they, you have an epidemic of frogs, you know, or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's something we don't talk about enough is um, if, like, so if you bring your Admech or your Botan or your World Ears or whatever, and you go to a major, unless you're just one of the unlucky people that just pairs in like Eldar or GSC or IK round one, um, you, as you get deeper in the event and you're getting a, a losing record or a mixed record, those armies at the bottom, they aren't losing to the armies at the top. They are losing to the armies in the middle. They're even losing the armies to the armies that are like near the bottom, but not at the bottom. So just like you said, 
Um, when you, you can help them out a little bit by bringing them up, but when you hit the top armies, um, unless those buffs help them play into the middle armies, it doesn't always necessarily help them out. And God forbid, if you're at the bottom and you catch a buff, but the army above you also catches a buff because they're also technically losing, but they're beating you, mm-hmm. your life doesn't really get easier. Yep. Uh, next question from Dan. What Scary, what is your favorite uh, Age of Sigmar army? Uh, Heap Knights of Slanesh by far. I have way too much fun with that faction. I played it when it was terrible, and I learned a lot, and now it's not terrible. So I have a lot more fun with it. Uh, my original one was Sylvaneth, and then uh, and some of the death stuff, like Soul Black Gravelords and whatever. My favorite, by far, Heap Knights of Slanesh. Like, Glutos is my boy. Okay, Glutos is amazing. He's just so cool. He's so cool. He usually just sits there. Doesn't even have an attack. He just sits there and eats and is a psyker. And that's what he does. <laughs> or a magician, sorry. Wizard. I'm glad you answered it because I have no idea what that model does. <laughs> he's, he's just a tank. He's literally just a tank. He's just very hard to kill, very obnoxious. And uh, and he's got rules that, yeah, he just he's a, he's a buffer, basically. Nice. Uh, from Rickard, uh, no question. Just wanted to say that Scary is an absolute delight in person and is a top shelf dude. Top shelf, like all your best liquor. Uh, <laughs> from Dan, I don't know if this is for a specific army or just generic, or maybe we can just try to approach it from both. Um, Maybe just general Dark Elder and Necrons, but he says, Dan F, when, if ever, do you take fixed secondaries? Um, when you need to get a certain amount of points, if that makes sense. Good like answer. if you have a plan, right? Or if the way that you need to play the game dictates that you need to take fixed. You know, there's like sometimes, um, you know, you could be like, well, tactical could get me more points, but it means that I need to go to these places over the course of the game. If I go to these places, my opponent will kill me. So I don't want to go to these places because then I just die. So let's take fixed and do something that requires me to go here or do this which then means I can use my resources more effectively. So even though I might score less, I'll have more army, which means I will probably score more on average. Yeah. So it's like a thought process that you have to go through. For sure. Um, I I would say that a good time to take uh, fixed is when your opponent just gifts it to you. So if you are playing, um, best example I can give to this is right now, great, uh, Greater Demons is the popular archetype for demons, Chaos Demons. Um, you, I don't see a world where you like play an interactive game and win without killing several of those. Uh, so you would just take, bring it down and assassinate. Every single Greater Demon you kill is worth at least eight points. So if you Might stand well on, if you it. stand on, if you stay on two primary objectives and take it hold, yeah. um, for four turns straight, that's ten. That's forty points on primary. And if you kill two greater demons, three greater demons, you're looking at seventy-four points after paint. That's 
that seems like a good path to victory to me. Yep. Kill three degrees of demons, stand two objectives every turn. My army's painted, 74 points. That's a, that's a great floor. So stuff like that. The other thing I would say, this is not really going to be applicable to everyone, but whenever I see someone, there's always that guy who, and that guy, if you're listening, please please listen to me. I know you just want to live your truth, but there's always that one guy at every major who shows up with the Warhound Titan. And it's just like, he's just like, I'm just here to rock and roll. You know, well, now Warhound Titans are not 2,000 points. They're 1,100 points. And a lot of people, what I've seen they do is they try to add like 900 points of like a real army and just staple a Warhound to it. They're like, oh, here's some board control, submission, stuff like that. Don't do that. You know what you're here to do. You're here to shoot the crap out of other people and be, and be big, snobby robot man. What you What that guy needs to do, and this is where I think a lot of times they, they could probably win one more game than they do. You don't mm-hmm. want to lose all your games. Is instead of trying to just, you know, half-ass some submission stuff onto your Warhound Titan, just bring more killing power, stand on two objectives, and just take two fixes that you can score, like bring it down and assassinate or something like that, mm-hmm. and just go for the table, just table them. Oh, I only get, I only get, you know, eight points on bring it down. Don't care, take it. I only get eight points on assassinate. Don't care, take it. Just go for the table. And that way you can just lean into what you're already doing, which is stronger than trying to compromise with like two random mission scoring units that just get overwatched as soon as they come down. Uh, that's very niche advice, but if that guy is just randomly listening, that's... It's funny because I'm going to an RTT this weekend and I know there's going to be a Warhound there. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like a 20-person RTT. He's like, I'm bringing my Warhound. It's like, okay. I mean, if I, if I had a Warhound... Sure. If I had a Warhound, I would. The first thing I would do is I would immediately ally in a Porphyrion Knight. Nice. Really lean into it, and then, and then a Callus, an Everser, and a Vindicare Assassin. Boom, done. Boom. Just, and just, Turkey just, go, done. Just, just, go just do it. Um, I would take a Revenant Titan if it wasn't banned by the WTC. Oh, man, they can't let us have any that fun. ban list. Come on, come on, Neil. So what sad. are you talking about, buddy? Uh. Da-da-da. How do you push past hobby block? Be it motivation to build or color palette paralysis? That's a uh, great question. I have a solution for that problem. Just put paint on it. Just put paint on it. That's right. Hardest parts are just getting started usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're almost done, Scary. Uh, Grant. As oh a no! Full, Grant says as a full time sleep. Cot- <laughs> sleep. We only, we only we only fly out to Belgium in two days. That's right. Um, as a full time content creator, tired. as a full time content creator, how do you deal with burnout? That is a great question. It's actually a question I get quite a lot. Um, number one, play multiple game systems. So, like, play ne- I play Necromunda. I play uh, Battlefleet Gothic. I play Epic Armageddon. I, Wait, I play video game Battlefleet Gothic or the tabletop. Both. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hit you up on TTS or something like that. I love. Ah, you play the you play the the video game version. Yeah. I don't play the video game. The the tabletop version. Yep. I play the tabletop. I have like I have like three whole fleets. I got a chaos fleet, uh, an imperial fleet, a dark eldar fleet of like OG. Oh, and a space marine fleet, like with an old battle barge and everything. Like literally weighs like three pounds. It's great. I I have the um, I have a chaos fleet. I have an imperial fleet and. and that printing has like is what got me back into it. I'm like, yeah, oh, I can yeah, just printing is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do like the narrative stuff with like custom ships and that kind of stuff. I finally got a planet killer, 
I have oh, no idea. So cool. I have no idea if the scale is right or not, but the thing's like this long. I'm like, sure. The, the Planet to... Killer was quite big. Like comparison yeah. to like it was massive. I, th- I think mine. I think mine's too big. It's like it's like this big. It's so silly. But that's uh, it. the thing about the. It doesn't matter. The scale literally doesn't matter because it you does, measure it the stem of and the base, the base and the stem. Anyway, uh, getting on tangent. But yes, hit me up. We'll definitely play some Battlefleet Gothic on awesome. TGS or something. That'd awesome. be great. Um, but the the main part that I will say to avoid burnout as a content creator is sometimes you need to play games just for you. Like no cameras, no filming, no Instagram story, just for you. And um, the person who kind of got my head straight on that was my brother. Him and I had probably played more games together than ever. He's two years younger than me. And we play usually once a month. We get together and have a 1,500-point, you know, we're playing the cards back when, you know, in ninth edition where the cards, you know, had just come out or whatever. And we play, like, fully painted armies at, like, WYSIWYG and Highlander format. So, like, one of everything. Like, it's a very specific format that's more emulated, emulative of, like, a hobbyist playing the game rather than, like, trying to, like, win. And we have the most fun doing that. And many years ago, my brother slapped me on the wrist and was like, no filming this game. And I was like, huh. And so ever since then, that's been like the safe zone of like, I don't need to film it or take pictures or anything. And I learned from that, that sometimes you just have to play for the love of playing rather than like trying to make content. And that has really helped me uh, from with uh, uh, tackling burnout. I love that. Uh, and also, you really you really had my attention when you said Highlander format. I I love Highlander format. Um, just nothing because it puts you just slightly outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Not enough outside your comfort zone where you're like this is stupid, but just enough where kind of like okay, new challenge. And then you try each to make resource is so cool. important. You know what I mean? Like you have to use each resource effectively. I also still think that a fifteen hundred points is the best point value for forty k. Fifteen hundred is fun. It plays. It plays just a little bit faster. Um, and yeah. You got to be, and you have to make some really awkward. Uh, there's a little bit of push pull list building. You have to make some yep. awkward decisions, but there's kind of like, it, it definitely. And I, I, I can see we're getting for it. I definitely like fifteen hundred point games. They're fun. Uh, the next question, also from Grant, what are your alternate armies besides Necrons and DE? Yeah, I borrowed the Necrons. I do not own Necrons. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing against Necrons for many years since John Necron, who comes on my channel, plays Necrons. Um, so I was able to pick them up quite quickly. But Black Templars is my first love. So that is the my main army that I had forever is Black Templars. Dark Eldar. I do have a patron who basically donated a Thousand Sun Army to the channel. So I have like a Thousand Sun Army that I have access to. And then an entire Sisters of Battle army, and then an entire Talarn army. Talarn Desert Raiders. Ooh. Old pewter little Desert Raider guys from like many, many years ago. And those are the main armies that I that I play with for 40k. I could never quite get into Gar, but I always really loved uh Vestroyans. Just mm. their, their entire mm-hmm. aesthetic and that, that red and brass kind of color with the yep. program, which is Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Sam Lemon, uh, hey, Scarry, you talked quite a bit about elaborate travel schedule following WGC, and I know you do a bunch of in Canada. 
Is this something you find necessary to do to make it as a content creator or just part of growing your brand for now and hoping long and long-term hoping to bring it back? I have always been the traveling war gamer. <laughs> That's just like I've ever since I started doing videos because of the the my job, which was traveling to different cities and selling stuff. I used to always hook up with the local gaming community and try and film a battle report while I was on the road, right? Or have a game and play and meet people. And I've done that since I was in in uh, I was in a dance troupe leaving high school. We did, toured around in a big van and did uh, community theater, basically, which is really fun. Just before university, and um, I act, I I do it for me more than anything. Like I just really enjoy showcasing people from all around the world and playing as many different people as possible. I actually have, like, once my son goes off to college or university, my goal is to do a cert to circumnavigate the globe. That's literally a thing that I want to do. It's going to be a huge project that is going to be community funded by all of you who want to see this if you want to, where I'm going to travel to every country that I can and play Warhammer or like a game in every country. And I'm going to like backpack across the world and film it essentially and it's going to be awesome and i cannot wait to do that but that's just me because i want to do that rather than because i feel like it needs to be done for content creation like is it important to do collabs and stuff absolutely you know i mean yes be a collaborator like you you build a better audience by building an audience for everyone together you know i mean with as many different people as possible but it's not necessary. There's a lot of insular content, content creators that just do their thing and don't really branch out, and that's fine. Um, so I just do it because I enjoy it, and I like meeting people and uh, and uh, showcasing like the world of gaming rather than just like my opinion of gaming, if that makes sense. That's really cool. Man, I'm so jealous. That sounds awesome. Can't wait to see that. Uh, let's see. Lost track of where we are. Um, from Dan F, is Shalaxi a fun hobby project? Um, yeah. I, I just I just finished painting just painting uh, Shalaxi. I I love all the Keeper of Secret sculpts. Just you you just get everything. You get the small details. You get the, like the long long flowing lines, nice flat surfaces. Um, there's a lot of little areas where you can just kind of practice the the gentle highlights of the robe or like the uh, the leggings or that kind of stuff or like the the muscles and like the skin that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I have six keeper of secrets nice. um, by accident. Uh, that because I built Slow up. Nash does up. not believe in accidents. <laughs> I built up. I built up my demon army. Um, mostly through I, I try to do a, I, I always try to look for deals um and so most armies unless they're just hard to collect um i try to either get start collectings combat patrols or just use lots and sometimes when you buy in lots like you're buying a lot because you want like when i was trying to get 18 fiends for a while the only way you can get fiends was just by hoping you could just find used ones um and so that's what i did and i kept buying these lots and I just set it up with more, more greater demons I could legally field, but I liked them, so I was like, I'm like, well, I'll just keep it. I'll just paint it, and then maybe Same I'll just, future. yeah, nice. Maybe I'll just sell off the ones that are just painted badly. I don't know. So, 
I, I randomly have two Shalaxies now, and I, I enjoy painting both of them. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, because I mean, you play Heat Knights of Slash, right? So yeah, yeah. I play. Right? I I tend to not build armies with demons. I summon any demons I want, and a lot of the times it's not Shalaxy; it's just a keeper. Mm. It tends to just be better, um, or fiends because mm. fiends are just great in both fiends. systems. Yeah, they're just yep. really good. Um, I love that sculpt. It's just so weird. And what? Talk about a glow up, man! Remember the uh, the remember the original ones? They were like small, oh, I do. and they had the, <laughs> had the scorpion tail and everything. They're... Oh, I there's some. You know, you go to mini wargaming, and they literally have a warehouse with like filled with models. And if you want to find like some obscure model from the '80s, because you feel like fielding ten of them, they probably have a box that's just has ten of them sitting there. You're like. Let's do a retro game, you know, and you can literally just pull it out of the shelf and go play it. So I remember some of these old models. I, I love those retro models. I think still some of my favorite models were the retro, the retro bloodthirsters, not bloodthirsters, mm -hmm. the retro uh, blood letters. Back when they yeah. were like a traditional demon style and they mm -hmm. had like that, instead of the sword, they had like little hatchets. Yeah. Uh, those are my favorite. Uh, let's see. What else? From Sam again, obviously the sharing of information and data is great for the growth of the hobby and getting people involved is fantastic. However, at the competitive end for the WTC spectrum, do you think this causes more harm than good, this overabundance of sharing information and having practice days? I say this in the sense that if all people all agree on lists or concepts, then the only thing separating a winning country from others who copy is player and pairing skills and a surprise element of list or what the predicted score is gone. That's a, it's a great way to look at it. You know, do I think like we live in an age of information? So information is definitely money in a lot of cases. You know, some countries are super secretive, you know, and don't really talk or interact with any other countries. Some countries are willing to, you know, problem solve with others. You know what I mean? And uh, like, and, and to be honest, the whole international scene of like WTC in comparison to other sports, it's been going a long time, but like, it's a fledgling international sport. You know what I mean? So we're still in that sort of development phase where now it's like people are starting to understand what it is and what it, you know, because there's so many people who have come into the hobby recently that we're still in that phase where like we're just trying to get people involved, right? Whereas like tell people about it and share that information. And some countries are still very insular. But I feel like, that is less and less important nowadays because of how much sample size and stuff people have and things like faction experts and the teams that put the practice in behind the scenes, even if they share some information, you know, even if you go back and put your, like your money where your mouth is and you find out what pairings work and you find out what, you know, matchups work and things like that, you know, it doesn't matter how much information your your opponents have as long as you understand what's going on. You don't have to explain all of that information to everybody all the time. You know what I mean? So there's there's le there's layers, there's levels, you know what I mean, of, of uh, information. And I think over time, it'll develop into something more concise and there'll be sort of like an expectation, you know, where like, okay, so around this time, all the content creators go quiet because nobody likes to talk about shit anymore, you know, like, <laughs> yeah yeah it is um i don't have, i don't have anything to add i think you i think you nailed it um also again i think the community like you said is is in flux especially with the rapid um we're going 
I hate to use this term, it sounds so cliche, but with Warhammer becoming more mainstream and getting more people, mm-hmm. I think we're going to we're gonna outgrow that kind of awkward uh we're trying to be like like esport or esport adjacent or whatever, you know, or we're trying to like actually do this the way that other sports and hobbies communities handle the competitive aspects of like their hobby or sport. Yeah. So we'll get there. Um, what, we got two questions left, one from chat and one from Discord. Um, so Jeff, aspiring forklift champion, what are some places, groups for a relatively new player to get experience via TTS? Uh, I will um, jump on this one yeah. real quick. Um, I would say I've heard good things about the Alpha League. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have heard, and then I participated in one of our, I think we've had three so far, um, our stat check or vibe check leagues. Mm-hmm. I think we've done, we've done two, or we've done three of them. I think I know, and I've contributed one and, um, I, I enjoyed it. I had to drop halfway through. I just had too many, uh, too many other commitments competing for my time, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and when things slow down for me, I'll definitely join again. Um, but I definitely recommend those, um, I know Tactical Tortoise does a They do like beginner league. pods and stuff as well. I, I've, I've heard that um, there's some house rules there that can kind of like turn the games a little bit non-representative. You to mean, it's elsewhere. not, it's what we, what we colloquially call Trevi Hammer. Um, yeah, so keep, but keep that in mind. Just, just read his, the player his, pack. Just read the, play, like, it's yeah, very, exactly. just read the, any every time you go to an event, read the player pack, know your expectations. Yeah, whenever I, whenever I, Whenever I spectated the games, though, um, in ninth edition, I was always very impressed with his tables. His tables looked really cool. Oh, um, they just—they—they they were very. They're getting better and, and better. Moving parts, they were you know, so cool. They change every season, and they're like super cinematic, and they look really neat. And and uh, he's you know he has a competitive background, so he's he's very knowledgeable of like you yeah. know what he's talking about and his opinions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those would be my three recommendations. Like I said, is, uh, obviously, like, I'm going to plug our own stat, our own vibe check. And then Alpha League, I've, I don't have experience with, but I've good things. And again, um, Tactical Tortoise, just be aware that a lot of the stuff um, that happens over there is what I would consider house rules. And if you try to treat it as rule of law outside of Tactical Tortoise, you, you, will, get, you will get pushback. Uh, depending on what rule it is, so just be aware of that. But I, I've heard good things about all three of them. Yep, and they're very consistently running as well. Correct. So all, one of them was always going on. Uh, and yep. then lastly, I think this is a good one to close out on. And uh, Scary, this is 100% your wheelhouse. Uh, from the Desert Fish. Good morning, lads. Uh, just kind of hitting that that time zone cross. Just well, joining in. How now. Many... It is morning now, but I think I think at this time slot we grab a lot of Australian and uh, New Zealand and uh, Welcome. people. Welcome. Good morning, lads. Just joining in. How many lances can you get into a TK point army? Um, easy. If I did the Void Ravens with Void lances, you'd get thirty-five launch shots. <laughs> and that's I was shot, I, the, my first RTT of tenth. I paired into Dark Elder, and I was running three big Chaos Knights and four small ones, mm-hmm. um, just because I wanted I wanted to run the big guys. I was like, I bet we're gonna end up on War Dog spam like two months into the edition. So I wanted to run the big guys while everyone was running like I was like first RT of the edition. Everyone's just gonna be like experimenting with nonsense. If I'm ever gonna run three big knights, it's gonna be right now. 
And to the very first game, I pair into a guy running Darkland Spam. I'm like, shit. <laughs> but luckily, the pew luckily, pew. luckily, he wasn't running Scourges. And I think he was more scared of me than I was of him. And he reserved all his Raptors. Oof. But then he pushed up with all his Raiders. And so I just kind of sat back and just shot the crap out of him. Um, and then the Ravagers came on, and, all, and the rest of his army was dead. But he went first, and I, even with the Ravagers off the board and no Scourges, um, this this was me, if you catch my drift. I was <laughs> I was going to lose like two yeah, nights. So know. many, so many shots with so many rerolls. I was, I was so scared. And then I'm really... imagining that. I'm imagining that list with like void ravens and scourges like like stapled on top of it. Well, scary. As soon as I read that index, I was like, "How many scourges do I own? Twenty. Okay." And then I went through my bits box. How many dark lances do I need? Okay, I need twenty-seven for this list that I'm thinking. Okay, I have twenty-seven dark lances. And the next like three days was me just like gluing dark lances onto like models and then painting them to match. And then literally taking them places, and then went to uh, went to a tournament and did well with my Darklon spam. You know what I mean? Uh, went to a dude was just crushing people. I think it was a team event. Oh no, it was. Uh, I think I lost one game, um, but did okay. Yeah, it was a TGX. I think I went to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, third edition all over again. Oh, and I yep. there is one more question. Uh, I almost missed it uh, from Tomic. Uh, from Contact Loss Podcast. Uh, show que- show question. Will Team Canada miss Dustin a lot at WTC, especially taking his faction specialism into account? And two, is being drawn from pod one a blessing or a curse for Canada? Um, that's a great question. Hello. I've been really enjoying the episodes, by the way, coming into the WTC, so like interviewing all the captains and stuff and all that. That's been really fun. Um. So are we going to miss Dustin? Heck yeah, we're going to miss Dustin. Dustin's like, he's like Dustin, but he's a new dad. He just he just had a kid. So like family takes precedence. So as much as we'd like to have him play Gene Steel Cult right now, I, you know, we have other com- competent players on the team <laughs> that can pilot Gene Steel Cult. Um, so yes, we're going to miss him, but it is what it is. He has He gets to be a dad, which is we're all really happy for him and uh, him and his wife. And um, as for the pod thing, we we did the best we've ever done as Canadians, and we were top seed. So one of the pods is us, basically, and uh, we can only go up from here. Basically, you know, like we're 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 good. We're excited, and uh, we've got a team to crush it. So I'm really really pumped about like our prospects. I don't care where we seed. We're just gonna crush some fucking people. Just kidding. <laughs> Pardon my language. Uh, you're gonna have to bleep that. Oh my gosh. Nah, it'll be fine. I think I think once we're past a couple minutes, we can just curse, curse what we want. We'll get the monetized. <laughs> the um, algorithm won't get us here. You hear me? Yeah, we'll get us. We're safe now. We're in the yeah. shadow realm. Uh, Scary. Uh, apologize for keeping you longer than I. Oh, promised. this was great. Um, yeah, don't. don't but uh, I had a fun time. It was great catching up with you. Uh, we will. What time you, you you said you fly on Sunday? You'll be in Michelin probably Monday. Yeah, Monday. It's an overnight flight. I think we yep. leave at six thirty PM and get in at like eight in the morning or something. Like it's yeah, something like that. Same here. Um I haven't there's been so many things I've been pairing, so I know there's a lot of 
lot been a lot of people simultaneously in parallel preparing for WTC, both playing and content creation and socially and everything like that. So I'm sure we're going to see all that come to a head. Um, I will probably see you Monday. We'll probably see each other in Michelin, small town, yeah. if not seeing each other at the War Masters. Um, and then also, uh, I don't know if you're going to be filming or doing any content creation there, but stat check. Um, this is the first time the majority of us have ever been in one place. There's seven of us. We're all over the world. And six out of seven of us are going to be at WTC. So the only person that's not going to be there is Cliff, unfortunately, because, you know, I want to see I want to see who's taller, you know, whatever. He, he's taller. Um, but we're all going to be we're all going to be there. And I think third, I don't want to promise, but right now we're planning um, Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to do some sort of stat check episode. So if you see us filming, see on a couch, please come by and say hi. Whoever yeah, we'll do. I'll wear in. a little Cliff name badge. Just pretend to be Cliff. This was yeah, my I, interview. I Thank you for I literally think me. I literally think we're just gonna sit on the couch and just <laughs> talk Warhammer and talk WTC and make fun of that Ennis. Sounds be great. Fun. That'd be awesome. All right, man. And well, everybody I'm, can make fun I'm of Innis. Let you, just no, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is that anybody can make fun of Innis, you know? Because it's just of course. He's funnable. He is. Um, all right, Scarry. Um, we talked about it before, but I want to hear it again. Where can we find you? Where can we support you? Where can we hear more of that lovely, dark, archon, overlord voice? Ah, the dark can indeed. No, well, thanks for having me on, Tim. I really appreciate it. You know, StatCheck is doing the Emperor's work, really, when it comes to 40K, just like in general. And, you know, the whole crew, you're you're awesome. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube mainly, youtube.com slash scardcast. I'm sure the links will be around there somewhere. I do like battle reports and tactical videos and tournaments and review and stuff. Yes, it is a Dark Eldar focus, but there's a whole bunch of stuff. You got the Patreon. Um, That's literally, I can do what I do thanks to the Patreon supporters, without whom I would literally not be able to do what I do. So the link's there if you want to support. Awesome. If not, no worries at all. Just watching this video has been good enough. And uh, telling people how much of a fake accent I have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> other than that, thanks a lot for having me, Tim. Really appreciate it. And I can't wait to come back on sometime. Can't wait to have you on again. All right, Scarry and everyone else, uh, we will see you at WTC. And then afterwards, we will be filming uh, a Thursday after WTC. It will be our next episode. Hopefully, we'll have a clip back. Uh, we'll answer all your Necron questions then. And... Uh, I'll 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 phone in. I'll phone in. I'll be like, this is all the secret tech. The secret secrets. You know what? I'm gonna win with the power of math. (laughs) Scary, a pleasure as always. Uh, Thank you so much. Go get some sleep, and uh, I'll see you on Monday. Awesome. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com. Thank you.